The 200 Level is brought to you by DP Doe, proud supporter of the Illini on campus since 2006. DP Doe is locally owned. They employ a staff that truly cares about their customers, and they'll always go out of their way to make sure that every customer walks away happy and full. Stop in and try a hot box, their popular combo featuring a calzone, choice of side, and a drink, and in the state of Illinois, sure to be extra tasty beginning January 1st. Order direct online at dpdoe.com for their best deals and prices. Also brought to you by Brian Hansen, your state farm agent and your local choice for insurance. Their team is made up of four local products, all born and raised in Champaign-Urbana. That's Tammy, Kennedy, Molly, and Brian. And their office is located at 408 North Ray Street, Suite A in Urbana, but they service all of Champaign County and East Central Illinois for auto, home, renters, business, and life insurance needs. Their number is 217-344-1900 or online at BrianIsMyGuy.com. Finally, Fourth and Kirby, they have vintage Illini inspired hats and t shirts, including a brand new crew neck just in time for Illini basketball season. But whether it be old school logos, some of them taken from old like basketball and football programs, what's really cool about Fourth and Kirby is they're bringing something that no other apparel maker does for Illini fans. You can check out their great selection of t shirts, hats, and sweatshirts online at fourthandkirby.com. Also, of course, got to thank IlliniInquirer.com for their partnership in the relaunch of the 200 level. I don't know if I can call it even relaunch anymore. We've been at it for two months now. And the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, which you can find on Twitter at 217Showers. Okay, it is a happy episode, and there was no other title that we could possibly come up with it than Everything is Awesome. J Show listeners, you might remember that, along with Lego movie fans as well. Illinois football is 5-4. and four. Illinois basketball has a huge week coming up. They got their point guard commitment. Let's get going. It's the 200 level. It is the 200 level, Mike Carpenter live from the basement for episode 46, Everything is Awesome, which is maybe not what you were thinking Saturday afternoon around 4 o'clock when that game was at halftime. Illinois Rutgers tied at 10 apiece. Another one of those classic Illini Rutgers matchups, whether it be football or basketball. But yeah, right now, everything does feel awesome if you're an Illini fan, and it's a really unique position to be in. And now the timing, how perfect is this? You get to pair this Illini football resurgence with the first official week of Illini basketball competition. It is a huge week coming up for Illini basketball. We're going to get to that in a bit. By the time the next 200 level will come out, there will have been three games that count, two of them on the road, Grand Canyon and Arizona. I think we can assume that Nichols State will be a pretty easy win on Tuesday night, but Friday and Sunday will be very telling with how good this team is. Yeah, I know it's the first week of the season, but it would be nice for a change to get off to that early hot start and maybe uh, kind of validate all this attention and the expectations that have been heaped on this team. I think they can do it. We're going to know a lot more a week from now. But let's start with Illini football. They're five and four, and they're looking good doing it. This is the puzzling thing to me. When I look a month ago, or even less than that, it was three weeks ago when I was sitting here in the basement following the Illini-Michigan game. And that was a 20, let's see, 25-23 game. And then Michigan kind of ran away with it. I think 42-23 was the final score. But I had no idea, as we talked about last week with Harry Black, that that was actually a sign of progress. Now, whether or not the light switch turned on that particular day or whether it was just a perfect storm of things against Wisconsin, I'm not entirely sure. But three weeks later, Illinois is 5-4 and four, with three consecutive wins. And I think more impressively, 
there's not really a fluky win in the bunch. Now, if Illinois played Wisconsin 10 more times, how many more would they win? I don't know. I wouldn't bet on many. But the Purdue game was utter domination from the start. And yes, the conditions helped, but Illinois took full advantage of it, and that's what a good team does. Then you look at the Rutgers game, and yes, it was 10-10, to and yes, the turnover fairy was happy to oblige on Saturday against Rutgers, but uh, nonetheless, you came out after a very lackluster first-half performance, and then you made that first half the aberration. The way that Illinois played in that second half against Rutgers was what a good team does to a bad team. To me, I find that as encouraging in some ways as the Purdue game, which was on the road against a team that just beat Nebraska at home, uh, scored a bunch of points doing so, and that's a whole other thing with Scott Frost. But I'm thinking, okay, well, these three wins in their own way are all different from one another, and they show different signs of maturity. Wisconsin, for example is not a win that an immature team is going to get. An immature team would find ways to lose that game against a top 10 caliber opponent by turning the ball over or having a bunch of penalties at inopportune times. They didn't do that. Illinois hung around and they played a pretty clean game against Wisconsin. Then you had the Purdue game, which given the conditions and the fact that you were coming off of that crazy win at home, the biggest upset in program history, you could have totally had the hangover effect, right? That narrative that I often will go with if it's an opposing team. Well, you know, they just had a big win, so they're going to come out flat. No, instead, Illinois came out with inspired football, and they just ran it right down Purdue's throats for the better part of four quarters. And then the Rutgers game. You have the first half, and I know everyone in that stadium was puckering up. Maybe not the idea that Illinois would actually lose that game, but I know for myself and my dad as we walked into it and we're watching the first half unfold, in a somewhat sleepy stadium. No one could really get into it because there weren't reasons to get into it. Thinking, why couldn't this have just been easy? But in a way, I think it might be more advantageous for this team and for this coaching staff, Levy Smith, Rod Smith, and any any of the Smiths and all the other coaches, to have had that first half and shown uh, this still fairly young team. You know, yes, there's a lot of juniors on it, but still enough young guys out there to make this a teaching moment. You cannot come out flat. And you certainly cannot come out flat against Michigan State after they get off their bye week. But you know what? You took care of business. You're five and four. And there are concerns that I think we could touch on real quick here. Offensively, if the run game is going, you will find yourself in more games than not. And it is complementary to the way that this defense is playing right now. Yes, Brandon Peters had the great run. 50-plus yards, got all the way down to the one-yard line. He had a couple dimes, including one to Josh Bebe. The catch by Donnie Navarro was probably underthrown. I mean, it seems so in the stadium. I looked at it again and thought, okay, Navarro had to come back for that and make an unbelievable catch. Kudos to him. This kid needs a scholarship. Uh, but Brandon Peters is a concern. You could do worse. You could do better. And it has been a while since he's had a play that has really kind of doomed you. But unfortunately, he does take too many sacks. His pocket awareness is not all that great. The one exception to that was the throw to Josh Bebe when he took the hit. I'm guessing he felt the pressure coming up behind him. I'm not sure. And he still delivered a good throw. You need more of that, especially as you face Michigan State and Iowa. And for that matter, yeah, they stink right now. But Northwestern will find some way to spoil things for Illinois that last game of the season. If it really came down to it, I, I know that Fitzgerald will probably get his guys up for that game. And that still concerns me a bit. So Peters will have to be better. He's going to have to get better in the pocket. He's going to have to get better with some of the, even the intermediate and short routes. There was the first third down of the game that you didn't convert because he missed a simple out pattern to the right. You can't have that. 
you need better performance from your quarterback. And I don't know if we've seen enough consistency from him to say, yes, I trust Brandon Peters. The good news is that he has made a few throws that make you think, okay, well, this is a kid that a Michigan would have recruited. They were probably enamored by that arm and they thought, okay, we can make him into something. Yes, I think a high ceiling game for Brandon Peters is possible. He's not working with his full complement of wide receivers, that is for sure. Um, But you do need better. And you need better this Saturday against Michigan State. The run game is what it is. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it, though the offensive line was a little bit shaky in that first half against Rutgers, though... Reggie Corbin had about three or four runs that Rutgers got these shoestring tackles on him, and I'm thinking, God, he's so close to breaking one. And uh, you finally had that run game breakthrough with some larger runs. The the yards per rush, especially especially in the second half, was just astronomical. So not concerned about the run game. I think the offensive line had an off day by their standards. And again, if you are going to have an off day, better to get it out of the way against Rutgers and then have your A game for Michigan State. Defensively, though, you gave up the touchdown, and at that moment, I thought, okay, well, first off, there goes the dream of pitching a shutout, which we talked with Harry Black, never go into a game expecting a shutout. The important thing to me is this, though. The defense responded after that drive and effectively shut Rutgers down, beginning with that final drive of the first half where they kept them to three. And really, if there is a key part of that game, it is keeping Rutgers to three points, stopping them on a third and short, and then it's a fourth and one. Rutgers trots out their offense and then eventually relents. They call the timeout, kick the game tying field goal. But that was big. Momentum for sure was already on Rutgers' side, but it would have been even more so if they had somehow taken the lead into halftime. And that is a long halftime. College football and these 20 minutes gives you plenty of time to stew on whatever happened in the first half. So as my dad and I, full disclosure, we're in there in the stadium watching the game, and it was a little bit chillier for sure. And we had a big tailgate that one of my dad's buddies set up. And this was the tailgate we'd went to for five, six, seven years straight. And he had stopped doing the tailgate about two years ago. So it was kind of a special weekend in that we got the crew back together, the big tailgate set up with TVs and just you know pulled pork and just unbelievable deliciousness and all the drinks you can want in the coolers. So at halftime, my dad and I look at each other and say, okay. Let's go back there to the fire pit with the TV and watch the game there. If that makes us bad fans, eh, sorry, but uh, I got my creature comforts and we decided we're going to watch it out there. But as we're leaving, you know, certainly I was disappointed. I even tweeted out, this is disheartening. A couple people responded like, come on, Carp, get over it. But let's be real. I don't think many people felt good at halftime. And if you were thinking, and I, I wish I could have adopted this approach, if you were thinking, ah, it's okay, we'll, we'll get things going in the third quarter, uh, you would have actually probably been coming from a, a better place than I was. What I mean by that is the way this Illinois team has played now for the better part of 14 consecutive quarters, or seven halves, okay? The aberration was the first half against Rutgers, which would lead you to believe that Illinois could not have played any worse. Calm down, Carp, they're going to be just fine. Certainly they were. Uh, but it still took you know, about five, six minutes into that first half. And the long run by Brandon Peters to get, uh, everyone calms down, takes a deep breath, goes to mix another drink. Okay, now we can sit and maybe relax this this half, knowing that we're playing with the lead again and that the defense seems to have found their footing. Exactly what happened. Then you get two defensive touchdowns. Absolutely love the... uh, The fumble that was caused by Isaiah Gay, who was all over the place on Saturday, and then recovered by Nate Hobbs. And that was actually a really good bit of balance. As he's returning that, there were three Rutgers guys that were, I don't know how clean of a look they would have had to a tackle, but Hobbs kept his balance, stayed on his feet, and made it all the way in the end zone. 
And then the Dway Harding pick six, and he is just playing out of his mind right now. The best single season for an Illini defender since. I don't know. Chunky Clements in 2015. We'd have to probably go back a ways to find that, but he has been fantastic this year. All of a sudden, the defense, I'm enjoying watching the defense. They, they're they good on against the run. They're keeping things in front of them. The pass game, the pass defense, yes, there was that one Rutgers touchdown where they were late. The safety was late on that, and I'm, I'm having flashbacks to the UConn game, to the Nebraska game, where it just seems at will, the opposition was finding these 15-yard seams in the middle. But again, they cleaned it up. So my dad and I, the whole approach that we took as we're leaving that stadium to go watch it back out the tailgate is... This feeling that we have right now can easily go away with a dominant second half. And then you score, what was it, 28 points? 21 points in the third quarter, and then very quickly at the start of the fourth quarter, you got your 28th point of that second half. You cruised. You made it look easy in the second half. And there are other teams, I'm sure, that against bad opposition, they're going to come out and lay an egg. One thing that I was reminded of, and this is not to compare this team to the 0-1 Sugar Bowl team by any stretch, So let's get that comparison out of the way. I'm not making it. But in 2001, Illinois played at Purdue. I think Kurt Kittner threw four interceptions in that first half, at least three. Turnovers all over the place. It was a mess. I think Illinois was trailing something like, you know, 17 to three. They come out in the second half and they absolutely run over Purdue. Something awoke the beast. And the team that had been playing so well leading up to that game was not going to lay an egg for two consecutive halves. That to me, Coming from the approach of, okay, well, is the coaching staff getting this team ready to play? Are they able to make the adjustments necessary? Well, yes, checkmark. Lovey Smith appears to have found whatever it takes for this group of guys to flip that switch. And then, what all the more impressive, to flip that switch at halftime when it clearly was not there in the first. Uh, It's not as if schematically uh, things were a total mess against Rutgers in the first half. It was really a matter of execution. And especially in offense where you couldn't sustain a drive. Yeah, there are arguments to be made about Rod Smith's play calling, which still uh, seems to be the, the success of this offense seems to be predicated on breaking a long run and then finally kind of setting settling in. It just took you until the third quarter with Brandon Peters to get that long run on Saturday. Uh, I am worried about that lack of consistency, but for the most part, they have an identity that complements the defense. So if you said, what is Illinois' offense good at? At least I can come out and tell you, well, they're good at game-breaking runs. And then when it comes down to a playing with the lead, that run game seems to establish itself. I can say that based on the last three games. You need that against Michigan State. Because I do think that this opportunity on Saturday, and Lovey Smith addressed it as such. He said it's probably the biggest game that we've had since I've been here. And I love the fact that they're embracing the moment for what it is. This is an opportunity to turn this from a season where, okay, we got Northwestern looming. You should get that sixth win and go to a bowl. Great. But if you beat Michigan State and then you compete or even beat in Iowa, you launch this from just, okay, you made the bowl like we had asked you to, to, wow, you actually exceeded all expectations. Seven wins is attainable for this team, but the most attainable upset, if we want to call it that, would be Michigan State. And according to Vegas, it would be an upset. 13.5 point spread to start, and I'm sure throughout the week it might go down to 11.5, maybe 10.5, but probably not much more than that because you know what, guess what? Illinois is still in a position going on the road. They're the underdog, understandably so. It is a show-me game in many respects for Lovey and the staff. On Saturday, I think it's imperative almost that Illinois scores first. 
this defense seems to be that much better when they do have a lead. And then as you saw against Rutgers, things can quickly get away from the opponent when the defensive takeaways and even defensive scores come into play. That all seems much more likely when you're up seven to nothing or 10 to nothing. And all of a sudden, Lewerke, the Michigan State quarterback, has to take some chances, right? Uh, I don't want to get behind two scores against Michigan State because that is a defense that still is uh, still a Michigan State defense. And this is a team that is going to be pretty desperate, I think, for Mark D'Antonio. We will see if this is a team that will use the Illinois game as a launching pad to get their seven wins. Because I think Maryland and one other, maybe Indiana, well, no, they already beat Indiana. So Maryland and one other opponent that they should beat. Michigan State still has a path to seven and a somewhat redemptive second half of the season with Michigan coming up as well. But this Illinois game is an opportunity for them to get right. So is that what we're going to see from Michigan State, or are we going to see them coming out flat after their defensive captain, linebacker, gets suspended for PED use? Apparently, he failed the drug test, so let's just assume PED use. And uh, you see, this is everything's falling into place, right? If we're talking about what does it take for Illinois to get an upset, Wisconsin was a once-in-a-lifetime thing, so let's not use that as the template, though I guess you kind of could in that Wisconsin and Michigan State are similarly styled football teams. Also, if you want to go with the transitive property, like I did with Harry Black last week, you could say that, well, you beat Wisconsin by one, and Wisconsin beat Michigan State by 38, so therefore you should be 39 points better. If only it were that easy. Uh, I do think that Michigan State is a bit like Wisconsin White. Okay, so if you are thinking of what the template is in terms of game plan, probably similar to Wisconsin. But it is all about the mental game here. There's no reason for Illinois to go into that and be flat. I doubt they will. They know what the opportunity is in front of them. And the great news, I think, for Illini fans and for the team as well, you have a bye week after this game. So let's say things go poorly, or let's say there's a heartbreaker. You do not need to immediately follow it up with a game at Iowa. You do get a week to chill out, get healthy, kind of get the bad taste out of your mouth if you have that after the Michigan State game before you go on the road for yet another opportunity against an Iowa team whose offense, like Michigan State, is not playing well right now. Here is what I want from the next two road games, other than a win, okay? If you get one of these wins, I think that everyone's feeling ecstatic about it, but you need to compete. And I get the feeling the way Illinois is playing versus how Iowa and Michigan State are playing, you will compete. In fact, I would actually be mildly surprised if Illinois comes out against Michigan State and loses by like 20. And this is coming from an Illini fan that we've seen it all, right? We know that we have been disappointed and had the rug pulled out from under us many, many times. And maybe that was the thought that creeped in the first half against Rutgers for me. I allowed myself and that institutional knowledge to kind of freak me out and make me a bit paranoid about what was happening. But just look at the way these two teams are playing right now. One is trending upward. One is trending downward. And this will come down to whether Michigan State is truly hungry for a seven-win season as opposed to just winning the two games after Michigan, which again are winnable, and I need to look up who those opponents are. It's Maryland and some other team. Great opportunity, though, and I'm excited. 2.30 game on Saturday where we're going to have some people over, and I think for a lot of Illini fans, it may be the first time in a while that in a away football game, they say, well, let's go here to watch it, or let's have people over to watch it, where it might actually become must-see TV for even the casual Illini fans because, hey, if the Washington Post is writing a story for Lovey Smith and Illini football, which they did last week, and after yet a third win in a row for this team— you know that that attention is going to start trickling in a little bit more. Lovey Smith, this morning, Sunday morning, was on 670 The Score with Patrick Manley during the Bears pregame show. Just, again, more positive coverage for this football program and for Lovey Smith. 
Let's talk about that real quick. Lovey Smith. Last week, I, I made mention of this, how I was reminded that when Lovey is winning, he is a very easy person to root for because all those things, I've always appreciated Lovey's stoicism. I did appreciate his consistency when they're winning, but then when they're losing, all of a sudden that consistency can be viewed as stubbornness, right? I mean, Bears fans can relate. It certainly felt like Lovey was stubborn the last three, four years when he was with the Bears. Uh, but yeah, when you're winning, it's it's a great feeling because there is this sort of, you know, the eye of the hurricane. He's the calmness, right? You saw it on this, uh, a great gif that was going around Twitter where as the team was jumping up and down on the sidelines before that Rutgers game, Lovey is staying cool, calm, and collected. That is his demeanor. That is the kind of figure that he cast on the sideline at the podium of the press conference. But what I'm seeing more of, and this only makes sense because they're winning, what I'm seeing more of is a happy guy who is smiling and enjoying the ride and maybe genuinely enjoying this college football coaching thing. We didn't have a lot of indications beforehand where we could have looked at Lovey and said, look, he's having a great time. And how could you, given the record, how could you have actually been having a good time being a college football coach? I know he was working, okay? Clearly he was working hard at something and now it is paying off. But uh, now that we get to see is what Lovey called on Saturday, the fruits of their labor, right? They're getting these wins after all this hard work and it is hard even as a Lovey cynic for me to not feel really good for him. This is a guy that has made tens of millions millions of dollars in his career. Someone who, uh, let's be honest, for about the last two and a half years, I thought, how much skin does he really have in the game here at Illinois? And now it's paying off in this crazy way, three weeks in a row with three games to go. That makes me think, okay, well, I, I guess I was wrong and I guess I was duped. I guess I was you know, not patient enough. I don't know. Uh, I'm starting to second guess myself and all the things that we talked about earlier in the 200 level. But bringing that back. I really do think we were going off of what we saw. Uh, there have been a few I told you so posts from you know certain Twitter figures and all that. And you know what? They can ride that out. If they were really sticking on the lovey train for the, enti- the first six games of this year, for example, yeah, they can kind of revel in this three-game win streak and say, I told you so. I don't know if I told you so was the sort of approach that I would ever take. Uh, When John Gross was fired, I didn't come on the air and say, see, I told you guys this guy stunk. I was more interested in the hire that took place after that. Or the Tim Beckman thing, where that you know just kind of fizzled out. It wasn't, uh, see, I told you guys Tim Beckman stunk. It was more, okay, well, let's see what Bill Cuba can do. In other words, I try to maintain my focus and think, okay, well, what's the solution to the problem? And Illinois Revenue Sports have had many problems. And all of a sudden, it looks like Levy Smith could, and I say could, in italics, 11-point font, you know, maybe, maybe, could be the solution. Stabilizing things, right? The word stability was thrown around, and I said, well, stability is only good if you're winning games. Now they are. Well, what about the recruiting class? This is another telling thing over the next two months with the early signing period in mid-December. Can you parlay this on-field success into recruiting success? I think they can, because a lot of recruits are probably just taking a wait-and-see approach. Don't blame them one bit. But man, why not really solidify this thing and go up to Michigan State on Saturday and get an upset? It is possible. It is not likely, according to Vegas and according to the ESPN game projection, which has Illinois an 11% chance to win at Michigan State. But you had a 1.5% chance to beat Wisconsin at home, according to the same metric. So, hey, 10 times better chance to beat Michigan State than you did at Wisconsin. All I know is this. What I'm watching is good functional football. Defensively, it is sound. 
they're making tackles. They aren't making a whole lot of mistakes. They had one bad quarter as a defense against Rutgers, and they made the adjustments quickly, and in the second half, Rutgers looked like Rutgers had against all other Big Ten defenses. That's a good sign. Offensively, you have really good running backs and an offensive line that I think is capable of coming together and just having that monster game, maybe Saturday against Michigan State, and controlling the line of scrimmage. I still think they are uh, capable of doing that even after that first half against Rutgers. And then you got a special teams that is really, really good. Blake Hayes, again, terrific. James McCourt, you trust him. In a a big game situation, if he has to go and kick that game-winning field goal against Michigan State and it's within 50 yards, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling better than Eddie Pinheiro, but I'm feeling better about Illini football than the Bears in general, so that goes without saying. So really, all three phases, two of them specifically, special teams and defense are playing well. Offense is inconsistent, but they at least have big play potential. If the offense gets a few big plays against Michigan State, they're going to be right there at the end with a chance to win it. So here we go. We have another week, and this is one of my favorite parts about football season when you have a winning team. Bears did it for me last year, though clearly 2019 is a lot different for them, but it's after that win, you get a whole week to relish it and look forward to the next game. And waking up on Saturday before that Michigan State game, I'm going to have that sort of pit in my stomach, the nerves settling in a little bit, the anxiety of waiting for the game until 2.30, you know, not the 11 o'clock. No, you get the somewhat prime 2.30 spot on FS1, so nationally televised game. It's going to be nice to have that. If there is a comp that I have for playing at Michigan State and feeling like you can pull off the upset, but understanding why many others do not think you're going to do it. It would have been John Gross's second to last year, or John Gross's third year. Okay, so here's the comp. They go up there without Ray Rice, and this was the game where Malcolm Hill and, gosh, who else would have been on that team for Illinois? This was uh, Ray Rice and Aaron Cosby were still suspended. Uh, Malcolm Hill, Kendrick Nunn, Jalen Tate had the box out, which landed him the technical, and Dan Dockich and Don Girard, the champagne mayor, they had a Twitter battle after that. But long story short, Illinois got that upset at Michigan State and seemed to prime themselves for a tournament run. Now, John Gross and that team screwed it up at the end of the year, and they got in the NIT and got smoked by Alabama or something like that. But uh, with this football team, I do think that this opportunity at Michigan State is a little bit similar. It's not one that many people are expecting, but it's one that I think Illini fans are going to tune in and think, we could do this. And you know what would be great is thinking back to the Purdue game. I was still skeptical after Wisconsin, thinking that's a fluke. This team maybe has not turned the corner, and Jeff Brom and Purdue will be uh, the thing to stop this train from really getting rolling. Instead, you go into Purdue and you smoke them. Well, what if on Saturday, and I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility, what if on Saturday Illinois comes out and they actually control that game, and they win, let's say, 21-13, to 13, but they're playing with the lead the whole way, and we see the defense continue to do what they're doing, how much fun would it be? And you take the heart attacks and all the high blood pressure out of it by controlling the game with a lead and kind of cruising to a victory on the road against a vulnerable Michigan State team and an offense that isn't doing much of anything for them. I could see it happening. Am I going to call it? Am I going to predict it? I did on Twitter last night. It was somewhat late and maybe I was in my happy place, but I will go ahead and call it right now. Okay, and I've been wrong many times before. If this is the kiss of death or jinxing it, I do apologize, Illini fans. It seems to me the way that these two teams are trending, Illinois will find a way to get that victory on Saturday at Michigan State. Wouldn't that be an amazing feeling? Six o'clock Saturday night, celebratory drink, reveling in Illinois, going to a bowl game with 
two games left on the schedule, an opportunity to get seven or eight wins, having just won at Michigan State. Is this the same Michigan State program as 2015 when they were in the college football playoff? No, it's not. They are far more beatable, and they are not the same sort of juggernaut that they were in the first five years of this decade. But it is a name program, and I think it would be symbolic of it's college football. There's turnover. Programs rise as other programs fall. There would be a symbolism behind it that would say to, I think, a lot of Illini fans that are still on the fence, myself included, about could this thing not just work, but work really well. A win at Michigan State would go a long way to telling me they figured it out. Lovey and the staff have figured it out, and by God, they've turned Illinois into a decent football program. And that's all I'm asking for, guys. I'm asking for a decent football program, and they have been that for the last three weeks, and hopefully they finish strong with another two wins. They'll get one. They will beat Northwestern. Don't worry about them. Northwestern's offense is so, so bad. Illinois will find a way to that victory, especially if bowl eligibility is on the line. But why not make that the cherry on top game? Why not make that the one to get you to seven wins? Or, hey, who knows, eight if you win the next two. Okay, pie in the sky fantasies, maybe. Time to switch to Illinois basketball, though, because they had an exhibition game. Oddly enough, the first halves for Illinois basketball and football kind of mirrored each other. Neither of them looked particularly good, but when it mattered, in the second half, the teams turned it on and ultimately left you feeling good about where these two teams are going. For Illinois basketball, the newcomers, Kofi, with a monster game. He looks the part. He's an absolute beast. And what I love, even with an exhibition game, is that he looks not like some sort of project. Not that we anticipated that. He does look like someone that will be able to give you immediate production, even offensively. The rebounds we knew were going to be there. But if you can tell me he's going to score between 8-10 points a night, and you couple that with Georgie at the 4, and then your great guard play, I'm feeling great about things. Then you have BBV, okay? Benjamin Bosnans Verdunk who, again, looks the part, and all these stories come out in the offseason, sort of like Georgie last year, and then you see it, and you think, oh, okay, well, maybe this works. Maybe for the wing position that with Tevian Jones and that indefinite suspension, you need another guy to couple with Alan Griffin, and plus you can play Verdunk at the four if you needed to. He's got the size where he can bang a little bit depending on the uh, lineup that the opposition trots out there. So those are the two stars of the show. Two newcomers. And yeah, Io, not a great shooting night, but are we really worried about Io? Probably not. Trent Frazier, Andres Feliz look great. Uh, Georgie look like Georgie. This is a team that is NCAA tournament or bust. And I would love to be in a position at the end of this month. And I know that you're saying, come on, Carp, how can after one month we be sure that this team is going to make the tournament? We're going to learn a lot this week. This is not a team that should necessarily need a whole lot of time to figure things out. If you think about the new pieces, it does include Kofi, but Kofi is the kind of guy that you should be able to slot in there, and he's just going to do his thing without necessarily messing with the chemistry around him. Uh, if you look at other new pieces, BBV is really just kind of a bonus. I'm going to go BBV because his name is very just kind of tricky to pronounce. Uh, he is someone that I think, again, you can slot in in the minutes that you need him for, and he's not going to really mess with the dynamic of that team. Still concerned about DeMonte Williams. Still concerned about Kipper Nichols. I think at this point, they are what they are. But you do have enough high-end talent to overcome that. To overcome the fact that maybe DeMonte and Kipper did not pan out how we all wanted them to. Or maybe even how we expected them to. Uh, But this is a team that has an opportunity here in November with this first week of games through next Sunday against Arizona to really assert themselves as a top 25 caliber team right off the bat. If they go 3-0 this week, 
and they beat Arizona, they'll be in the top 25. In the second week of the year, in the top 25. Now, not that John Gross and his teams early in the year were strangers to the top 25. His first and third teams found themselves in the top 25, both in, let's see, that would have been 2012 and 2014. And then, of course, they struggled early in Big Ten play, and that quickly fell off. But it would be a nice, refreshing change of pace to come out and immediately validate all the expectations that have been placed on this team, uh, many of which I do not think are unfounded given the talent level that you have. You have unbelievable guard play. And when it comes down to it, find me another collection of three guards in the Big Ten that are as good as what Illinois has. And then the front court, you feel good about. With Kofi and Georgie alone, you're going to be fine in the front court, not really concerned about that. Wing position, again, is the concern just as it was last year. And if you, if you had to pick one guy and say, please be the breakout star of the year, it would be Alan Griffin because you really do feel as if Alan Griffin comes out and establishes some consistency, this team will be fine. He had a lot of those sort of intangible qualities last year that made me lean a little bit more towards him than Tevy and Jones, even though Tev certainly has the higher upside, right? At least early on. Uh, but Alan Griffin doesn't need to be a star. He just needs to be someone that you can count on at that wing position. If you get that, you're going to be fine. Uh, there's enough depth on this team where DeMonte can come out for some minutes and defend and get you some rebounds offensively. Uh, Kipper is what he is again, but he's still got decent size and come out and again, give you minutes. So depth, not really worried about it. Um, but this week right here, Nickel State on Tuesday night. You take care of business on Big Ten Network Plus, of course. Friday night, though, for local uh, Champaign-Urbana residents, at least, on WCIX, so that's uh, WCIA's sister station, they will have the broadcast of the Grand Canyon game at 8 o'clock, which I'm really excited that there will actually be a broadcast that we can watch because this, to me, is a very telling game. Arizona looms on Sunday, and we know that that's the big one. And I got to think that subconsciously, the players, they know that too. They aren't going to say it out loud in practice or in the locker room, but they know it. They know that Sunday is an opportunity at Arizona to really grab some national attention. Before that, you had this game in a raucous environment. Grand Canyon, this is their marquee non-conference game. Big 10 team coming into town. It has all the makings of a trap game. Illinois should come out and win that. I don't care how loud that venue is. I don't care if this is the best Grand Canyon team ever. Illinois needs to come out and win that game if they are, in fact, a tournament team. If they come out and lay an egg, or let's be honest, even if they come out and they play hard but they lose to Grand Canyon, I'm concerned. And and, and you'd be thinking, well, how can you really place that much stock in one game early in the season? There will be opportunities for this team to overcome that. And I just don't want the trap game to come to fruition. It seems like too easy of a narrative. I've seen Illinois teams do that before, whether it be John Gross and Georgia Tech in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, or even Brad Underwood's first year they played at Wake Forest, not a very good Wake Forest team under Danny Manning, and they lose that game, and then all the good vibes just like that are gone. Well, here we are in the first week of the season, so for good vibes to even be built up, for good vibes to exist through the month of November, those two games, Grand Canyon, the trap game, and then on Sunday night, Arizona, which is the marquee game. You have an opportunity here, and I do think this team will win the first two and set up that game against Arizona that we're really all kind of looking our chops for. If you ask me, would you rather play Arizona in November in Tucson or in March in the NCAA tournament, I'm taking my chances now because chances are that Sean Miller, who continues to kind of like this revolving door of four or five-star talent coming in year after year, uh, those pieces tend to gel later in the season. For Illinois, it's different. Yes, I know that you added Kofi, and he's a big piece to this. But playing the center position and doing what he does should not really mess with the core around him. 
How often are we going to see the three guards out there together? Andres, Io, Trent. I'm not sure. This is where Alan Griffin becomes such an integral part of this team. But you are going to see a lot of Georgie and Kofi together. And uh, I, I do think they complement each other well. I think that the offensive skill sets for both. Now Georgie gets a little bit more fluidity and doesn't have to be so stationary. And then Kofi can just be that rim protector and the guy getting the garbage buckets. All right, if you miss an, a shot on offense now, you actually have someone down there that can get it back for you and easily dunk it. Remember the, the days of John Gross where you could not score in the paint? Those days are over, okay? Also gone are the days where you didn't have a point guard. And here to me is the most encouraging part of the last week with Illinois basketball. Not the game against Lewis, because we aren't going to learn much from an exhibition game. It's the fact that they got their next point guard. Knowing that Io will be going to the NBA draft next year and he will be a lottery pick, which is a win for the program. You get to sell that. Well, guess what? You've already been able to sell that to a point guard for 2020. Andre Crabello is, by all accounts, the best facilitating point guard in this class. He is six foot. No six foot five inches. No six. No, he's six foot tall. That's it. And in all likelihood, will be a four-year player. I think Derek Piper had made the comp to Cassius Winston. My God, if that's what you get here, what a win for Brad Underwood and the staff. There were two parallel tracks that I was interested in this season for Brad Underwood. The first one was on the court. They need to make the NCAA tournament, and they are in position to do that. The second one was recruiting, and especially the point guard position, knowing Iowa was going to be gone. You have your point guard. Adam Miller is right out there for you, too. If you get Adam Miller coupled with Andre Crabello, all of a sudden, I'm looking at this program and thinking, stabilized. They're good. They can actually ride this success for the foreseeable future and build on what looks to be a good season for this team. Uh, that, to me, was so essential on Friday when, not that it was a big surprise that Andre Corbello picked Illinois and not Miami, but it was a, a big sigh of relief knowing that, okay, the most important position in basketball, college or pro, is taken care of through 2024. What a win. So here we go. It's the first week of the Illini basketball regular season, and you're feeling good about it because of Andre Corbello, committing to Illinois, and then three games in seven days that I think will be telling about how good this team is and how well-prepared they are. They can go 3-0. and 2-1 and one with a close loss at Arizona, that's fine. In fact, I remember, and again, not to compare this to the 2000-2001 basketball team, but in that early part of the season, they had close losses to Arizona, Duke, and Maryland. But they won every other game. And they were still a top 10 team. Uh, people knew that they could compete at the highest level, and they could, right? If you go to Arizona on November 10th and compete, that is a win enough for me. So here we are. It's episode 46 of the 200 level. Everything is awesome. I cannot believe uh, what a change of fortunes it's been in the last three, four weeks for Illini fans. And I'm riding that wave. Yes, I was down a halftime of the Illini Rutgers game, but very quickly got back on board, feeling good about things and excited that I could watch three basketball games this week. Still got to figure out how I'm going to watch that Arizona game. I don't even know what channel it's on. So maybe that will be one of those Reddit college basketball streams that is, uh, I guess, quote-unquote illegal. Harry Black, who gave us some shoplifting tips two weeks ago, has no problem with the occasional illegal activity, so maybe he can help me out on that. All right, for the 200 level, some good news here. We've had our two best weeks so far of the podcast. We're over 10,000 downloads in the first eight weeks of the relaunch, and it is only going up. It's trending upwards, and I think 
it is no coincidence that it's happening as Illinois is winning games. Now the basketball season is here, and knowing that that just seems to generate more fan interest, um, I only anticipate that going up. And success begets success. So whether it's for this podcast or for Jeremy's website or for sports bars on Green Street, it matters. You know, the economic impact stories that Lon and I used to joke about on the you know WAND news that he had to do himself. Yeah, there actually is an economic impact. And uh, for our podcast, we want to get in as many listeners as we can. So thank you, Lovey Smith, for kind of regenerating that interest in Illini football. And thank you, Brad Underwood, for finding a way to really kind of get Illini basketball fans primed for what could be a big season, right? And hopefully trending upwards beyond 2019-2020. So thank you guys, though, for listening and for all the reviews and ratings. Again, if you're an iTunes or Apple podcast user, Drop a rating, drop a review. Uh, we're, I think it's 64 reviews and ratings so far, and that's really good for how early in the game this podcast is as we build that subscriber base. But wherever you listen, I think Stitcher, Spotify, they might have those same sort of reviewing systems as well. And what that does is just helps us get discovered by someone if they type in Illini. If they want a new Illini podcast and they've never heard of the 200 level or Mike Carpenter, maybe they'll find their way to us now with all those ratings and reviews. So thank you guys for listening. It's been so much more fun these last two weeks to come down here and talk about good stuff. Didn't even worry about a pun for a title. We just went with everything is awesome because right now, as I record this on November 3rd, everything is awesome. And in a week, it could be awesome-er with Illini basketball, three consecutive opportunities on the court, and then Illini football with their biggest game since. Isn't that nice to actually look forward to a college football Saturday and knowing your team is relevant? They will get a mention on College Game Day Live. I have no doubt about that. And I would be interested to see, too, I just said College Game Day Live. That was the show that Brightweiser and I did on uh, Game Day on ESPN. They will get their mention. And I would not be surprised if Lee Corso or Kirk Herbstreet picks Illinois as their upset pick of the day, right? It's riding that same sort of thing that is reminiscent to a degree of early 2007 when Illinois had gotten a few wins, but then the real opportunity came up at home against Wisconsin. To me, the real opportunity is Michigan State on Saturday, and it's right there for him. So. For this episode, we got Harry Black coming in in a bit. Uh, Trevor Valise is going to be here hopefully next week. Some sad news, his grandfather passed away, so we are thinking about Trevor and his family after that that tough loss. And uh, we'll get him back on soon, probably next week, uh, to talk all about Illini basketball. With Harry, though, we will focus more on Illini football. And it's weird. I thought we would turn the page already and just sort of abandon ship with this football team. But instead, they give us more than enough reasons to talk about them. I need to get his take on how impressive it was to really kind of flip that switch on after a first half. Think about it, 20 minutes of a halftime. It's long enough in the stadium. I got to think even longer in the locker room. And you knew that you just stunk up the joint, and you respond the way that you did against Rutgers. I do find that impressive. And also get his thoughts on these next two road games. I am going to operate under the assumption and this might be dangerous, that Illinois will beat Northwestern. So we don't need to worry about it until we get to that week, and maybe we'll break it down a bit. Northwestern stinks. I mean, this is the worst Northwestern team in a long time. Definitely Fitzgerald's worst. But these next two road games are against teams that have the same sort of uh, style as a Wisconsin, only they aren't as good as Wisconsin. So how likely is it that Illinois gets one of these two, and how likely is it that Illinois gets both? On the same token, how likely is it that they go 0-2? We're Illini football fans. We've seen it all. 
But you know what we haven't seen in a while is a three-game win streak in conference play, first time since 2007. So what a fortuitous change of fortune for the 200 level that we get to talk about how everything is awesome with the one and only Harry Black. It is the 200 level. So instead of the water boy, it's the water koi. Huh, and it's about a shy person? No, 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 no. It's about fish. All fish except for koi. Oh, okay, okay. Got yeah, it. and the other one I was thinking would be either Happy Gilmore oh. or Gilly Madison. Yeah, and those are also about fish. No, those ones are only about koi. You're wildly inconsistent with these. I'm as inconsistent with these as you are consistent with trying to start the podcast without letting me know. Fair enough. Yeah. Harry Black on the 200 level. We're live in the basement. How's it, it going? Monday evening, of course, brought to you by DP Doe, Harry's favorite calzone to smuggle into a movie theater. I got to do that again sometime soon. You know, I was talking about illegal activities before you hopped on the podcast, how this game coming up, Illinois at Arizona, Sunday night for basketball, which by the way, basketball has started. Hard to believe. I don't even know what network it's on, so I might have to do some slightly illegal maneuvering. Some sleuthing. Some sleuthing to figure out where that game is. Uh, you were actually out of town this weekend. Yeah, I was at. Uh, I was in Atlanta for this thing called AWA AWA, and it's a, it's a convention where I went dressed up as Luigi, but it was a post-apocalyptic Luigi. Uh, and how would that look? What's I a had, post-apocalyptic Luigi look like? Well, first of all, I had to get the fake mustache. Of course. But then I had a, uh, a hat that I kind of had watercolored green to make it look more faded, put some red paint on it to make it look like there was some you know mushroom blood from the Goombas. <laughs> I, had the, uh, I had the overalls that also had the same paint. I had some hand some bloody handprints on the hat and okay. on the um and on the uh, the overalls as well I'm, i was able to use my non-slip shoes that i use at uh, at work at black dog because they kind of look like plumber shoes enough so non-slip shoes do they just have more kind of like soles that yeah they, they have more grip they're basically just plain black shoes if next time you're at a restaurant if you ever see maybe a busboy or someone in the back look at their shoes they're plain black those are non intended for the wet surfaces in the kitchen and all that right? yeah because exactly. there's stuff on the floor yeah, and I'll okay. tell you, the times where I forgot to wear those, you notice as soon as you step Whoa. in the kitchen, you just go, damn it, I knew I was forgetting something. <laughs> but then I also- It's like that scene in The Simpsons where the uh, French waiter slips and falls into the Rice Krispie treat yeah. and dies, the boy who knew too much. <laughs> that, that, oh my God. That was That's a one that I feel like isn't shown enough on TV. Underrated gem. Yeah. So uh, aside from that though, then I had the, the green undershirt, which I have a button up green shirt which is torn at the sleeves and then also has more fake Goomba paint on it. And aside from that, I actually, my friend crafted this, uh, this weapon, quote unquote, mm-hmm. which is a vacuum cleaner that's painted, um, I think, blue and yellow just because, you know, I think the paint that was, or, or the original color on there just didn't look good. Yeah. And then a backpack as like a, uh, you know, a suction device. Wow. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. That's pretty uh, detailed. Yeah, it's my it's my favorite one to wear because honestly, it is the most comfortable. So you had a more exciting weekend than Illinois fans. Yes. And I'm not, I'm not just saying that, like the Rutgers game was what it was. It had is... I guess you could say it had its excitement, but not in the good way in the first half, at least, for Illinois fans. In the first half, at least. We'll get to that. Uh, but yeah, as I was saying, DP Doe, of course, is where you smuggle your calzones into movie theaters, and you can get all the best deals and prices online at dpdoe.com. They do deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, so if you need a nice lunchtime treat that isn't quite as expensive as some of the other lunch joints, why not try DP Doe for your office or, uh, hey, if it's late night especially... 
few better, uh, I about call it a snack, a few better options on campus uh, than ordering, what's your favorite zone, Harry? The danger zone. I like the Maui Wowie. That one, I'm guessing, has pineapple. Pineapple and ham. Does it have teriyaki sauce in it? Oh, I, no, no, no. That That'll one is not, I'm pretty sure. But you can customize your zones as well. And online, they got a great online ordering system. Uh, State Farm agent Brian Hansen and BrianIsMyGuy.com for all your auto, home, life, business, renters, all that kind of stuff. BrianIsMyGuy.com and ForthandKirby.com for all your vintage-inspired Illini hats, T-shirts, and a crew neck sweatshirt just in time for Illini basketball season, which we will get to. But to the Rutgers game. The first half was one to forget. It was kind of the surreal scene in the stadium where you had people wanting to get excited for the return of <laughs> How your... How was the turnout? It was fine. I mean, here's the thing. We sit on the west side, and the east balcony is always going to be the most sparsely attended. And it, it was no exception. It was very sparse up there, maybe a couple thousand, if that, in the east balcony. Yeah. But all intents and purposes, if you're on the east looking west, it looks pretty good. And our section was pretty full. I say our section. We just kind of roam around and find a it's spot a here or there. Mission now well, yeah, yeah. And I would love to get to the point where we need to sit in our seats because we are, you know, taking someone else's <laughs> I'd seats. love to get to the point where we actually have seats. Yeah, exactly. That, that's just a minor thing that I, I look <laughs> at the stadium sometimes. And I don't know if that's how it is in college football in general. But, I mean, we have giant aluminum benches. Come on. Yeah, no, they do have the things you can order that have the padded seats in the back. Yeah, but those are, talk about faded. Yeah. The sun has faded these things, so they're kind of like a mango salmon-colored orange, and it doesn't mesh with the, the not, deep orange. Well, at least not the, the uh, orange that we are now. No, no, no. Which is deeper and darker than I feel like it used to be. It's like blood orange almost. I, I like it the way it pops on the jerseys. Eh. Are you a fan of the jerseys? The simplicity of them? I, I mean, they kind of look like the Bears old jerseys, really old jerseys. I honestly, the ones that I always kind of wanted to wear that I never got a chance to wear were the ones that look like the old Giants logos. You With, like the I slanted like logo one. one. Wow, yeah, okay. because when I came here, in my mind, it was the one that Illinois had had for the longest time. And then I come in here and it's just an eye. And then I look back at the history of the Illinois um, helmet and the uniform and I'm looking and I don't see when it was ever just the eye. But I like more so than the uh, the Giants logo. I like the slanted one like the arch. Inter oh, yeah. I like the slanted one, too. That was in the 80s, 70s and 80s, the Mike White era Rose Bowl team. Yeah, but I mean, when have we ever had similar to what we have now? Never. Yeah, and, and, and that's and I'm more into tradition and that's why I kind of, I liked the ones that were here at least a little longer. I mean, we've had the eye now for what has it been? Six years, but it's been a different eye. A bunch Dating of times. back to the Beckman era, I don't think Zook had this no. rebrand. It no. would have been 2013. Yeah, and I even think. Beckman had the uh, the Giants logo his first for one year, year 2012. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's do uniform talk. I love okay. uniform talk. We'll get to the Rutgers <laughs> game in a bit. I, I remember growing up and always feeling like Illinois football never got it right with their uniforms. And yeah. the closest thing they did was from let's say 1990 to 2001. Um, it was the slanted logo, but there was no outline. It was just the white logo like the Giants used to have on their blue helmet. Yeah. And for Illinois, the white logo, the slanted logo on the orange helmet, and blue top orange pants. Very simple. Okay. And then they started adding outlines to the numbers and the letters. Then they started adding piping to the sides. I don't like the piping. Like the Rose Bowl year. Yeah, well, right. the only reason it looks good there is because Juice Williams is wearing exactly, it. Exactly, yeah, because there were plenty of bad Ronzo teams that wore the same uniforms, yeah. and it wasn't nearly as cool. 
I mean, I mean, because you look back at the uh, what was it? There's a picture in the stadium that I remember of uh, of Kurt Kittner holding up the Big Ten Championship trophy after the win over that would have been North Northwestern Western, uh, Thanksgiving Day, yeah, 2001. So that's 2001, and I think they were wearing the blue with white pants. No, or they, no it blue was orange, with pants. orange it pants. Was blue with orange pants, and they only had exceptions to that. Very rarely did they ever wear the white pants at home. It was always orange, except for a couple of cases where they went all blue, blue top, blue pants. Not a fan. Michigan 2000. And it looked cool at night. It really popped on the on the field. But ever since that, when I ever see the blue pants at home, I cannot help but remember the fumble game. I mean, to me, those pants are cursed. I, well, see, on the other side, I always think of when I think of the blue pants, uh, or I think blue pants, orange top, I think of the uh, Geronimo Allison Nebraska game. Yeah, which I hate that combo, but it was a nice It was memory. the only time we ever wore that combo, and yeah. it worked perfectly. It did, it did. But yeah, I mean, you look at the uh, the 2001 year, as opposed to the 2007 year, both, you know, nothing wrong with... I, which one? I, I obviously, I guess 01 would be the more successful year, because you win the Big Ten championship. 10 and 2, though, the 017, it, w- it would be a fun matchup. 07 versus 01. We don't do a lot of that whole... The 89... have two teams to do it Right, right. Yeah. And and we did the same with the 89 and the 05 Illini basketball teams. And that's just an easy, fun debate to have. But I've never really even pondered 01 versus 07. I would almost be tempted to go 07... Well, you based look, on the amount of NFL talent that was yeah, on that yeah, team. you have more NFL talent on that team. But well, the the whole point of this was the picture of Kurt Kittner holding that up. It just the uniform looks so much more fresh. It just agreed. I, I don't like the piping. It makes you look like you're trying too hard. We are not Oregon with these these uniform combinations. Yeah, it it, it worked only like you said because of 07. If yeah. you take the 07 year out of it, we'd look back on the, those uniforms as what the hell were we thinking? Yeah. Uh, but it did at least add some new combinations. And what I do like about these uniforms, you said it's not traditional and it's true, but Illinois has always lacked tradition with their football uniforms. That's not something to be proud of. Agreed. Though. Agreed. So it's almost like they went hyper traditionalist and said, "Okay, what's the logo? Block eye. What are the colors? Blue and orange." Okay. I don't, yeah, and I don't mind that. You know what I do think is funny, though, is as soon as we get to these uniforms, uniforms that look very similar to Syracuse's from a couple of years ago. They do? Yep. Now Syracuse, their uniforms look like ours from a couple of years ago. They do. It is peculiar it's how like we we're switched. Yeah. It, it's very bizarre. No, but I, I do like these uniforms. A nice uniform talk, but as we wrap it up, your <laughs> nice favorite... transition again. <laughs> your favorite uniform combo of what we have now, and I'm thinking... We, we've had all these different sort of things. The orange helmet, blue top, orange pants is the classic, and they wore that again on Saturday. It looks good. Uh, to me, though, I love the... And, and we saw this in the Rose Bowl year a couple of times, I feel like, in 08, the year after as well. Orange helmet, orange top, white pants. I don't know why I like that. I like, I like the white that pants. one. I, that one, what that says to me is beginning of the season like I remember there was a lot of times where you're wearing that at a 11 a.m. kickoff in a game that you know you're going to win against like Murray State exactly just where it's we're not we're not going to think about this too hard let's just go out there let's wear we're, we're Illinois let's wear orange let's let's not overthink it on this one you know who doesn't have good uniforms who Rutgers Rutgers does not have good uniforms. No, and I doubt they ever have. No. By the way, the Scarlet Knight was gallivanting <laughs> around the sideline. Apparently, he went up and approached a cheerleader. I saw this tweet about uh. it from someone that was covering the game on the sidelines. And I don't know what he said to her, but the dad, because it was dad's day. Yeah, yeah. The dad of this cheerleader got super pissed off and went up and basically pushed the Scarlet <laughs> Knight away. 
Now I don't know if the guy, the dad, was playing it off, or yeah. if the Scarlet Knight actually said something. But I could totally imagine some dude named uh, Luigi. Let's Lu- say, yeah, because it, you this know, is it's Jersey. New Jersey, uh, you know, decked out in a Scarlet Knight gear and saying something totally unbecoming of a of a gentleman. You know what's funny is I grew up with Rutgers being what, the first time I ever thought about Rutgers was it was either 06 or 07 when they were really really good. Craig Schiano, which by the way, his name is they're being thinking about bringing about. him back and why not? It, I mean, they have that's the only thing that's worked. Exactly. I well, and here's the thing is that's the first time that name kind of popped up to me, Rutgers, and it's when they had Ray Rice, they had Schiano and they I remember there was a time on Mike and Mike, they were undefeated late in the year, and people were saying, why not Rutgers go into the BCS National Championship game? Because they were in the Big East, which was kind of like a pseudo-Power 5 conference. When the Big East still had the likes of UConn and Louisville and yeah. Syracuse. Yeah, they did have Syracuse. Yeah. But I mean, that that was a team Syracuse that made the Orange Bowl with McNabb back in the late 90s. True. So that was the first time I heard of Rutgers, and then I remember my dad saying, come on, Rutgers is not a good team. Rutgers should not be in this discussion. And I never understood why. Now we're seeing what they are. And I also, the other day, looked at their history to see how good they were. Before, ever? Ever. Yeah. Before like the 2000s, mid-2000s. I think they had one bowl game appearance before 2000. And this isn't a team that hasn't been along, around for a long time because they're the oldest team in the history of college football. Isn't it weird how Rutgers and Illinois, you think about Illinois' history too with Red Grange and Dick Buckus. So we yeah. can claim arguably the best running back ever and the best linebacker ever, yes. right? Two of the most formative players in football history. Yeah. Okay, so we get that claim. And then you have Rutgers that gets the claim of being the originator of college football. Yeah, which is a cool thing to say. It's amazing. But yet, for whatever reason, it just doesn't work. I would assume that New Jersey has decent football. I'm Oh, uh, in high school, they have some one of the best high school teams in the country. So, and it's not a hard school to get into academically, no, well, relative to a Michigan or I, something like oh, that. Oh, we're talking about Rutgers. Rutgers. I was Rutgers, talking yeah. about the high school team. But yeah, Rutgers, I don't think it is. I well, think it's a, a pretty kind of middle-of-the-pack so school. I, I wonder what the disconnect is, why they haven't been able to establish even just a little bit. Because when they added Rutgers to the Big Ten, I, what year would that have been? 2012? It was, I, it was something like that. And I'll tell you what, Rutgers' first year in the Big Ten, they were good. I think they went 8-5. and five. Didn't they have a game at Penn State where they, they decided we're going to make Penn State a rival and they got in these shoving matches <laughs> pregame? And this continued for like three, four years. Every pregame, it would be Penn State-Rutgers and those two sidelines yeah. jawed at each other and then Rutgers is... They beat Rutgers the fir- or uh, Penn State the first time they played. When Bill O'Brien was there, right? Yeah, okay. that's when you know it took Rutgers' best team of the millennia and Penn State's worst team, True. which even True. a bad Penn State team is still 7-6. and six. Yeah, which look at them now. They're actually in consideration for the football They're playoff. They're kind of sneaking up there, aren't they? They really are, and it, it makes me, as we get into the... We'll play the transitive property game yeah. Yeah, later with Michigan State because they just lost to Penn State at home two weeks ago. Yeah, twenty-eight to seven. Not close. Not close. Penn State dominated the game. Uh, late third quarter touchdown for Michigan State was all they got. But I'm thinking, okay, well, you might you might have made mention of this on the last podcast that Michigan State's losses. Yes, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn State. So nothing and to sneeze at. And Arizona State. These Early are all in the year when they were playing well. And yeah. yeah, these are all teams that I think each one of those were against Arizona. The Arizona State wasn't ranked when they lost to them. 
but they were ranked right after they lost to them. Okay, yeah. So these are teams right. that have at least been ranked at some point in the AP poll this year. Those are not losses to sneeze at at all. But let's just continue to make fun of Rutgers yes. and their lack of success because for Illinois, there's not many programs we can point at yeah. and say, ha-ha. How about the fact that we covered a 20-point spread? Yeah, so here's what I like. Okay, Illinois wins 38-10, to 10, so that's 28 points. The spread was 20.5, so you yeah. beat the spread by 7.5 points. Yes. The week before that, you were 9.5-point dogs on the road against Purdue. You won 28 to 6. So that would be 24 to 6. 24 to 6, sorry. So that is 18 point win. Plus, you were nine and a half point dogs. So 27.5 overplayed the spread. Wisconsin, whoa. (laughs) Yeah, that would have been a 30 and a half point spread. You won by one. So 31.5, you outperformed the spread. This is, listen, it's one metric. Vegas knows, right? That's the old thing. Vegas knows, and they tend to know. Like this weekend, they say Michigan State minus 13 and a half. You know what? Here's the thing. I think if you were to tell me that a couple of months ago before this run kind of started, it's funny because the reaction for me would be, what did we do or what did Michigan State do to get us to the point where we're this close? Yeah, there's really two sides to that argument because Michigan State's offense has been terrible. So if you are to say, Vegas is to say, they will win by 13 and a half points. And I know that often betting lines, they, they establish them trying to get the most action, right? Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily mean that Vegas thinks that's exactly what's going to happen. They just feel like the betting will go on both sides. It might fluctuate a bit. Michigan State has at most scored 10 points in the last three games. And granted, the competition's been tough. Who are they playing? So it's been Penn State. They scored 10 against Ohio State. So they lost, I think, 41 to 10 or something like that. These three come in a row? Yeah. And then Wisconsin, 38 nothing, And then at home against Penn State. And that was 28-7. Wow. So they scored 17 points in three games. Now, I'm looking, the only thing I can look at with that is the common opponent. Yes, it was a perfect storm of things that happened in Illinois' favor against Wisconsin, but Illinois moved the ball pretty well. Yeah, we did. The run game was established against Wisconsin. So I look at Michigan State and think, okay, what is the disconnect there? They have a quarterback with Lewerke who is maddeningly inconsistent. Uh, whatever wide receiver they had last year, whose name escapes me, he was a to- some guy with dreadlocks. I don't remember. total stud though, right? Yeah, and yeah. I don't think he's there anymore. And then I couldn't even tell you who their stud running back is because I don't know if they have a stud running back. Well, it's I mean it's Michigan State; they always have a stud running back, right? So that's the only thing that concerns me. But I'm thinking, you know, this is Wisconsin light. The template is there. What you establish against Wisconsin, and here's the thing: that is a one in a million shot against Wisconsin. We all still would acknowledge that, even though you've won the last two games, and it seems to have spurred this team on. But I look at Michigan State and think, okay, the old adage of uh, you know the donut on the bat in the little league. You yeah. Know, okay. Yeah, yeah. You have the weighted bat, and then you take the donut off, and all of a sudden it's easier to swing. You made the great analogy before the Purdue game, saying, "I did." Well, if Wisconsin's the fastball, Purdue's the changeup. And that could be dangerous, right? Well, it worked out thanks to Mother Nature and a good game plan from Illinois. Michigan State, though, is like taking the donut off in a beneficial way. Meanwhile, Rutgers is just like a t-ball. Well, here's the thing, right? Asking you about the Rutgers game and thinking you're on that. Let's pretend you're on the team, okay? Okay. You're going to halftime tied 10-10. Yeah. And you know that you just stunk up the joint. Yeah. I mean, you're riding high coming into this thinking it's dad's day. We're going to go five and four. I, let's be real. Even the players knew all we have to do is take care of business. We'll be fine. Yeah. So when you go into a 20 minute halftime, which by the way, is that like an eternity for you guys or does it go fairly quick? When we're in there, it depends. It really depends on what's going on because for the most part, you get in there, you get situated in your 
part of the locker room, they usually have... By position groups? By position groups. Uh, they usually have Gatorades or s- different kinds of snacks for you to rehydrate and just get your energy, ba- uh, energy back. Like Cliff Bars? or Well, usually pretzels or, oh. or bananas or some kind of fruit. And then that's when your coach comes over with a whiteboard asking what you're seeing telling you what you need to do because it's either the offensive coordinator or the O-line coach. One of them is going to be up in the booth telling the other ones what they need to see. And, you know, halftime adjustments are real because people are looking down and saying what needs to be changed to go forward into the, uh, you know, in the second half. So you're not necessarily going to get absolutely chewed out unless you are not performing and doing everything that the coaches have been telling you to do this entire week. Okay. The usually what it would be is the coaches are going to come in and say, "Okay guys, we have some things that we need to change. We have some things we need to fix. The coaches are really good about taking accountability in those situations. They'll say, guys, it's 10-10. This is on us. Or usually they'll say that after the game on Monday when you're watching film saying, we didn't get this call right. That's why we fix it at halftime. But they will also let you know if you are not getting the job done. It's a two-way street, obviously. You know, you got to get it done out on the field and the coaches have to be able to tell you what to do. So, in, in the locker room at halftime, I could imagine that each position group is saying what they're seeing, how it's different. If it is different from what they were practicing, that's usually what the problem is. If it's what you've been practicing, well, then just go do what you were doing in practice. So usually you'll have the coach, usually, um, let's say it's the offensive coordinator, tells the, uh, the O-line coach, this will be for me what you need to do, what different plays you can run. He'd ask, let's say, um, I remember a lot of times you'd ask Austin Schmidt or Christian DeLauro, can we run this sweep outside to your side? Can we run... Bill Cubitt or... Uh, 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 coach Buckus. Okay, your your position coach. Got yeah, it. yeah. So usually Cubitt will kind of walk around to, um, to different places, ask, or m- more so... Let's come on, boys. Let's do it. We, you know, let's go out there and let's get it done. The macro kind yeah. of pump up the and guys. And then he'll go to his quarterbacks, I think, because he focused in with the quarterback saying what needs to get done. Okay. But it's, it really is the coach, Coach Buckus, your, your position coaches trust what you have to say because he will ask. He'll ask, uh, Al Gretti, okay, Nick, can we run the power? Can you pull? Can you get out there and get to the second level? And then likewise, the players will respond saying, yeah, I can get out there or no, I can't get out there. The defensive lineman is penetrating too much. We need to run something different. So it's very collaborative. Oh yeah, it definitely is. You're not, you don't go in there. It's not a, um, a dictatorship. The coaches, I mean, everyone in there wants to win. They all want to get it done. So if the offensive line, if the guy says, yeah, I can get out there, then the coach is inclined to believe him because he's not going to say that just as a macho thing saying, don't don't give up on me, coach. I can do it. <laughs> no, he's going to if he can't get out there, if he's getting beat, he's going to say, we have to run something else. Maybe if we run something, if I am able to uh, cut him or maybe if we run something to the other side or maybe if we run some kind of uh, stunt or not stunt, that's what defenses do. Maybe if we run some kind of play action, we can get him to bite. If I'm, I'm talking about maybe a defensive end right now. Yeah, but the um the the offensive line or just by position group the coach wants to know what you're able to do what you're seeing out there and what they can take advantage of what they can exploit so here's a question i guess is if you're a position coach and you are trying to get this information i i have to assume that there is some sort of conversation that maybe happens before the season where the position coach let's say uh coach buckus comes up to you guys and says listen 
I'm going to be asking you for information at halftime. Don't play tough guy with me. You let me know what you're actually capable of doing. Oh, well, no, that that won't happen because the other thing that co- the coaches are really good, and again, Coach Buckus was really good about this, he can read his players. Okay, I mean, so he a, can tell if the guy's just trying to be a tough guy and yeah, he'll, say, yeah. BS, tell me the truth. Yeah, exactly. Be- okay. Because he's also seen this guy um, in, in film study for weeks and weeks and weeks, seeing can he actually get out there? Can he pull? Can he get around the outside? How fast is he? Can he? Uh, is his footwork good enough to be able to reach this guy? And, and also for whoever we're playing against, is this guy Nick Bosa out there? Which, you know, actually w- would have played, I think, um, a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's right. Or is he just some run-of-the-mill pass rusher who is a try-hard guy who we can easily take advantage of? You mentioned Bill Cubit would go around and say, okay, guys, here we go. We can do it. You know, and I think Jeremy's made this comparison before. He's very much like Joe Biden. He's got the receding hairline. He's, <laughs> he he kind of looks a little Uncle bit like Uncle Joe, him. Uncle Bill, you know, yeah. folksy guy from Pennsylvania. I think they're both from Pennsylvania. He was, I, I think he was from Pennsylvania, and it would make sense because he always asked me, he's like, Harry, what are the Eagles doing signing <laughs> Tim Tebow? And I'm like, Coach, now you listen to me. I think that was a brilliant decision. <laughs> if you squint, he kind of looks like Carson Wentz. Um, which, by the way, congrats. I mean, not that you guys need it. The Eagles are fine. Uh, well, okay. here's the thing. It's the perfect eagle storm, and I won't get on a tangent. Now, by the way, you got to consider four straight third down conversions when it counted. Carson Wentz. That was nice. Thing, yeah. That was nice. That was a good drive there at the end against a good defense. Here's the thing, and I don't want to get off on this tangent either. As bad as the Bears have looked, I feel like could you say it's not necessarily aside from the uh, the Saints game in that last drive, their defense hasn't been a problem. No, their defense hasn't been a problem. It hasn't been last year good, but it also, no, I don't think that you would look at this team and say anything has to really fall on the defense. But there was an interesting point made on Twitter, and this is maybe really picking apart the defense when they are not the, the biggest for the Bears by any stretch, but uh, go back to the Eagles playoff game last year. Go back to the game at Miami last year, the game at New York, uh, the Giants. There were many times, anytime that defense is trying to get the stop to give the offense another chance. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. They've often failed. And you go back to the playoff game. It's amazing how different it is if they just make the stop, but then, of course, the Eagles go down and get the you know go-ahead touchdown. Nick Foles, man, that guy is magic. But, yeah. okay, looking at this game, or what the Eagles did, and I, I've said this three times now. I don't want to get too much into no, it. No, we can do a slight tangent's fine. Two weeks ago, Eagles were 3-4 and four coming off of two awful losses to a team in Minnesota that I still think is average. They just finally play a good team again, and surprise, surprise, they lose. Mm. Now, There's something up with Mike Zimmer is just He's kind an of, average coach. He is average with a really good roster. I, I do feel like if you gave that roster to, I mean, Belichick's an extreme example, yeah. but let's, let's even just say Doug Peterson. Yeah, I well, think I, I, I get the feeling he would do more of it. Oh, I, I think he would. I, I think Doug Peterson gets the most out of the players that he has, but I also think that there are some problems in the Eagles coaching staff aside from Doug Peterson. Mike Zimmer's steady, but yeah. I don't know what the ceiling is for him. Yeah, I wouldn't. As the Vikings coach. Yeah, I don't think that I don't see the Vikings, especially with Kirk Cousins, ever making a Super Bowl run or anything like that. But after those two losses against them and then the Cowboys. Then you go into a situation where on the outside, if you're not an Eagles fan, you're saying, ooh, they could easily be three and five and then three and six after losing, playing, to Buffalo. losing in Buffalo to a five and one Buffalo team and then playing the Bears who, you know, they're still a good defense. Mm. Well, you go and you take care of Buffalo because guess what? At the end of the day, it's the Bills and you do to the Bills <laughs> what you should do to them. You don't really need a lot of analysis. No, why you why did you beat them like you did? They're the Bills. Yeah. So then you're four and four. Then you come back home and play a struggling 
Bears team that is really they're a good team, kind yeah, of maybe teetering to mediocre. Nah. I think this is their floor. They're teetering. They're teetering to Tressman year two. I think this, statistically all of it, it's I, really bad. I think this Bears team is the floor, and I think last year's was the ceiling. Yeah, and the scary thing for me is that that organization they need to make a decision on Ryan Pace because it's not. It was. Highlighted yesterday, and as we wrap up this diversion, we'll get back. I know, but I got to finish off my Eagles tangent after you finish off. This well, tangent. yeah, but we have Mitch Trubisky, which is the glaring example. Yes, right? okay. yes, yes. it is what it is. We know it's one of the biggest flubs in recent NFL draft history. Oof. Plain and simple, that's yeah. what it is. Uh, but then yesterday, it was really highlighted when the second round pick that year was Adam Shaheen, <laughs> tied in. Which, by the way, keep in mind who's the guy Kittle for the 49ers? George Kittle was a fourth yeah. round pick or something. He's just an He's absolute like the beast. Best, yeah. I mean, he he is turning into the next Jason Witten. I mean, he's he's really. I I feel like we can't ever say anyone's turning into the next Gronk because that was a world of difference. But it may be more apt comparison because he's more athletic than Witten. So yeah. Was, uh, but no, with Adam Shaheen yesterday, there was a kickoff, and the Bears had twenty seconds on yeah, the clock. They yeah. weren't going to go down and win the game, <laughs> but he just he can't get his hands on a kickoff, <laughs> and he's flailing around like an idiot. And it just it it made me actually bile almost rose to my mouth thinking about. You know, it's one thing to lose. It's another to look like an ass doing it. Yeah. And that just said, you should cut him. You yeah. should actually cut him after that because he's been a complete waste of a roster spot. And then who does that really fall on? Well, Ryan Pace, unfortunately, his first and second round picks have been not very good. Even a guy like Tariq Cohen. Oh, wow. Nice shiny toy. Well, guess what? In year three, or I guess he's now in his fourth year in the NFL. No, year three. Year three. Yeah, year three. Uh, he's nothing. <laughs> oh, Jordan Howard, we don't need him. <laughs> no, uh, we have him. <laughs> he's doing okay. You know, he's he's actually a proven commodity in the NFL, which you don't get many of the running back positions. I remember seeing him in Indiana and just thinking, this kid's going to be something else. He, in he a is game, a, he's a stud. Against Michigan in that game. But here's the thing with the Eagles. Last Eagles point. The last Eagles the point. The 200th level. Yes. Episode 46. After those two wins, you get to five and four. And like you just said, Eagles, they're doing good now. Mm -hmm. You got a bye week. Five and four. Patriots, you're going to lose. Seattle, you're going to lose. In a month right now, people are going to be talking about what's wrong with the Eagles. They're five and six. Well, because you took care of business against the bad teams and you're losing to the good teams. Hmm. I'm just, I'm saying it right now. Don't be surprised when it's five and six Eagles and everyone's saying, what's wrong with Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz? Okay. It's, it's what's going to happen. Well, remember that. So in about three weeks, we'll revisit the Eagles. Yes. All right. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll be the next time we do Eagles so talk. So the listeners are clamoring for it. Yes. Eagles talk, NFL talk. Actually, there's a lot of Bears fans that probably listen to this, and it's, I'd say it's cathartic. When we were talking about Illinois football being bad, it's cathartic, right? Yeah, yeah. But the Bears are approaching that level of disarray and dysfunction where it actually isn't fun. Like, this is really yeah. approaching Trustman 2015 level. And you look at the offense, it is worse statistically, than Dowell Loggins offense with John Fox when Trubisky was a rookie and Mike Oof. Lennon was starting. Yeah, that, see, and that's a problem. See, so you, what you need to have happen. Especially when you have an op, a big air quote to your offensive-minded head coach. Yeah, so he needs to turn the reins over to Brad Childress, longtime NFL fixture, right? Let him do he the play a, calling. Yeah, he was an offensive Let, coordinator for the Eagles back in the day. Or Helfrick. Mark Helfrick is your offensive coordinator. That's his actual role. Let him do it because clearly something's amiss. But you know what? Nothing is amiss with right now. Illinois football. Well, what were we talking about before this NFL diversion? That oh, was a hell of a diversion. That really was. Oh, what were we talking? Not about? uniforms. We covered that. We we're talking Rutgers about Rutgers. Well, we, we were talking about Michigan State and the common or the three straight games that they've had. The lack of offensive playmakers. Yes. Um, but the fact that they were still Michigan State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said to me as you were coming down into the basement that. 
this is actually a game that concerns you. I'm going on record right now, and it's fun to do this because if you get it wrong, whatever, people forget about it. But if you get it right, you can be like, hey, yeah, hey, hey, look hey, at me. I said it. I think Illinois beats Michigan State on Saturday. And the reason I say that is very few times in my fandom as an Illini fan have all the ingredients come together for what would be considered an upset. First off, uh, an opponent that is a name opponent yeah. that is not quite as good as you are normally accustomed to them being, right? That's ingredient number one. This is not the Michigan State of 2015, let alone two years ago when I think they won nine, nine and three, went to a good bowl game. Yeah, yeah. This is a program not floundering, but plateaued. They're stagnant, right? Yeah. That's how I view them right now. We know what they're capable of, but you got to keep in mind that the recruiting classes for Mark D'Antonio over the last three, four years, that's what we're seeing now. And this was not the run that he had in the early part of this decade. He's been struggling by his standards in recruiting. So that's it. It's a, a program that is plateaued for by their standards. It is also the fact that if you were to chart how these two teams are playing right now and the progress that one is making and the regression that the other is making, it is hard for me to believe that even after a bye week, Michigan State comes out and all of a sudden reverses course. The thing that gives me pause is this. If Michigan State is desperate enough, they have two wins for them at the end of the year, Rutgers and Maryland. Okay, those are right there for them at Rutgers, Rutgers Maryland at home. Maryland win is, is kind of falling apart. Maryland's terrible right yeah. now. Which is so weird that they smoked Syracuse or terrible. Oh, it's oh, there. Oh, it's, I'll, it's right there. I'll find it. That's it's there. Good, that's good. <laughs> um, but I look at Michigan State and think, okay, how much are they really going to get up for Illinois? Because the other element of an upset is timing. Now, you look yeah. at the bye week and you say, well, Michigan State, they're going to come out after the bye week kicking ass. Well, hold on a second. Michigan waits. Is that who's next? At Ann Arbor. That could bode well. That I, could bode well for you because, and I usually don't like the whole looking forward narrative, but it did kind of seem like that was the case against Wisconsin. Oh, certainly. Although, I mean, there's no doubt that that played a role. Wisconsin looked at Illinois the same way that Illinois probably looked at Rutgers, you know? Yeah, yeah. But lucky for Illinois, Rutgers is Rutgers. <laughs> They're so bad. Right? They're going to Rutgers, and they did. And it's sort of like the Lions are going to Lion for the NFL. The Rutgers yeah. are going to Rucker. Okay. Yeah. The Scarlet Knights are going to Scarlet. They're going to They're going to Knight. <laughs> if they don't Scarlet, they'll certainly Knight. <laughs> so I'm, I'm thinking the timing is fortuitous for Illinois. I've said fortuitous like five times in the opening segment. I guess that's my word of the day. Fortuitous. Did you point out how you said fortuitous a lot in the opening segment? Or no, just, I didn't. Just I just said it. Back to it. I just said it, and I, I was reflecting on all the 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 long forty-five minute opening segment. I need to scale those back a little bit. <laughs> Are they boring? No, I, I, I like them. Okay. I, when, when I listen to it, I I kind of like it because then when I. I can kind of lead into our uh, our intros, which are always a kick. That's true. That's oh true. no, now they know that they're not real. <laughs> uh, no, so I'm thinking the timing works out well for Illinois because we have seen first off the Illinois Wisconsin game being an example. No doubt Wisconsin was looking ahead. Okay, yeah, yeah. No doubt that Illinois was looking ahead of Rutgers. The way the Lovey was talking about Michigan State uh, in the immediate aftermath of the Rutgers game, it's like he knew it as well. Like if we beat Rutgers, we set up the biggest game since I've been here. So for Illinois, they're they're marking this. Would you say this one's bigger than Purdue a couple weeks ago? No, uh, but I would say that in some ways they're equal, uh, just a different kind of in, in different, different ways. Kind, this one is to cement uh, notable progress. Well, you're right about that, but I also think you can cement notable progress by competing and even losing by three, right? Oh yeah. But but, but here's how I view it: the Purdue game was validation. 
the Purdue game was, okay, you avoided the hangover narrative, which we often see. Teams get the big win, they come out flat the next game. Instead, you capitalized on that and came out looking just as energized as you did against Wisconsin. And uh, really, let's be honest, conditions or not, you went up 24 nothing on the yeah. road against a team that just beat Nebraska at home. And I know Nebraska, they got issues. Yeah. But Purdue still put up 31 points on Nebraska. You cannot tell me that rain alone... You played. You makes played, an offense thirty-one points worse. You were a better team than Purdue was that given day. Now, whether or not you still would have won that game if it had rained at that much, and if maybe they had Rondale Moore, and if they had their quarterback in there, who knows? You probably, you know, let's be honest. At the end of the day, they have a Heisman contender in Rondale Moore. You're probably not going to win that game. Uh, but then we're asking, how many points is Rondale Moore worth? That's a good question too. Now wait, were you were you alluding to the fact that Purdue goes run runs away with that game against Nebraska if Rondale Moore is playing? Or are you talking about the Illinois? I'm Purdue talking game? about the Illinois game. You think Rondale Moore might have made a big enough difference to I well I think that if it like we keep saying, it was the perfect storm for Illinois to get that game. Not then I'm not saying that Purdue is worlds better than you, but everything went the way that you needed for the opportunity to play even with this team, and beat them the way you did. That is true. I would agree with that. I, I think that Rondale Moore, here's the one thing that could have spun that game, is if, if you remember the first 10, 12 minutes of it, field position battle. Yeah. Until that Dre Brown run that flipped the field, and then from there, Illinois cruised. Well, Rondale Moore could have just as easily, a possession or two before that, had the game or the field flipping play, and all of a sudden, Purdue's feeling good. They get an early score. And then I, I have to think that confidence... And momentum, they're very fragile. For Illinois, even after beating Wisconsin, I think that that game could have been far different if Purdue scores first. Which is why I said in the opening segment about the Michigan State game, I think it holds true. Illinois scoring first would go a long way. Oh, it would. I mean, we haven't trailed since that kick went through the uprights from uh, against Wisconsin. That's true. If you think yeah. about it, now again, again, that was against Rutgers and Purdue. But still, that kind of momentum through the last eight quarters of play, going into a game that can everyone in that in that locker room knows it because you saw what Lovey said right after they won that game. It wasn't let's make it four in a row. Which, by the way, when was the last time we did four in a row? Two thousand one. My. God. Yeah, they actually won the last seven in the Big Ten in 2001. Yeah, they so they're seven to one. Yeah, so which we could not copy. We could get six. You could get six, but here's the thing: if you get six and Minnesota loses, to <laughs> I've Wisconsin, been starting to think about this too. As soon as we beat Purdue, I started to do the math. I was like, "All right, Rutgers is that's your one easy Big Ten win right there, and then you got to get one against Michigan State. It's not going to be easy, right? But it's." There. So we would agree the timing is beneficial for Illinois because, okay, I, I don't know where this Michigan State team's head is at. Even though they played three really good teams, they have been remarkably flat for Michigan State. Yes. If this were a typical Michigan State Mark D'Antonio team, they don't lose 38 nothing at Wisconsin. No. They don't. They might lose 17-10. to They might lose 21-17. to They don't lose 38 nothing and look terrible doing it. You follow that up with a home game against Penn State where you can kind of get yourselves right. Again, they look flat. This is the sort of lifelessness that we saw with Illinois in the Minnesota game specifically and the first half of the Michigan game. And is there a carryover effect? Does the bye week have any effect on that? I don't know. Um, but you had also asked about the importance of this game compared to the Purdue game. Purdue was validation. Michigan State, all of a sudden, if you beat them, would set up a path to not just, hey, Lovey, you did what you had to do to stick around. It would actually maybe begin to change the script to, oh, he 
turned the corner. Legit. Yeah, two good teams. I mean, Michigan State, even with their losses this year, has not been the uh, 2016 Michigan State team. They've been a pretty good team. They've been maybe last year Purdue level, which is... Yeah, I'd say that's fair, and it's on the road. I mean, that's another component. I mean, I say all these things are going to Illinois' favor. Well, if this is a home game... It's far different. It's a road game. But that's where the Purdue game gives me a little bit of solace, too, because look at the Rutgers' first half. Not that playing at Memorial Stadium in front of, you know, 35,000 or whatever. 35 strong. Is, gonna get, <laughs> 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 is going to get you, like, super tight. And I mean, in other words, you have played on the field at Memorial Stadium. You know what that vibe in the locker room is like before home game. And I don't think it's the same sort of thing as walking out into the big house as a Michigan Wolverine before a big game, thinking, "Oh my God, we can't disappoint our hundred and ten thousand fans here." Yeah, it, 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 it got. It, I would imagine it keep you a little bit looser, right? Not having a ton of people in the stadium. It is weird, and I don't want to belittle what it kind of is like in the locker room before a game like that. But you go out onto the field beforehand, and you stretch, and there's maybe not a ton of people in there because then you go back into the locker room for the last 15, 20 minutes before you come back out onto the field, and the feeling right before you go out there is kind of like. It, it's almost similar to being in a submarine, I guess, because hmm. it, it's like when you're in there and it's just practice, it's kind of like, okay, we're in a room, we're going to exit this room and we're going to be out there. It's going to be the, the same as it is in, in here as far as pressure. When you're in there before a game and you can kind of sense the people above you, similar to a submarine, you know that you're underneath all this water, all this stuff is up there, but you're just kind of in your own little bubble. Yeah. It feels kind of like you're just getting ready to go out and do and practice. And that's okay. No, then that's the way it should be. Right. But I'm thinking on the road even better because truly no pressure to win this game. I know the players are going to want it. I know that now that they're saying the word bowl game. Right? Oh, I mean, it's out there. It's out there. And yeah. I do like the fact that they're embracing that. And it should be a goal. It's just sort of like if you ask Brad Underwood, and I do appreciate that he's already said this a few times. Yeah, you make the tournament. We need to make the tournament. That is our goal. And we have more goals than that. But the tournament is a baseline. And I think for Illinois football, that should be the baseline goal as well. But as I look at you know this situation, you walk into Michigan State, Come on. it's I know it's a 2.30 kick, but it's not like Spartan Stadium is going to be rocking for Illinois. That stadium's kind of empty sometimes, unless they're playing Michigan or Ohio State. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, a really good uh, Connor Cook-led U, uh, MSU team played Purdue, a bad Purdue, Daryl Hazel Purdue, mm-hmm. to a 24-21 win. And oh, I remember, that's right, yeah. And I remember looking at the stadium and thinking, there is nobody there. Well, but here's the thing, too, is you couple the fact that they've already been struggling with the fact that Illinois is rolling into town and the narrative that we're all excited about. Look at three wins in a row, Illinois is back. The further away you get geographically, the less interest there is in oh, Illinois might be back. Because yeah. first off, Michigan State and Illinois don't have much of a history. No. I know Lovey beat them in 2016. It's but more so basketball than it is football. It, it certainly is. But with football, I mean... Michigan State, if I think in my lifetime, the Big Ten team they played the least, it's probably Michigan State. Yeah, well, I mean, the the uh, hmm, even less than like Penn State. That Well, I'd say the two Michigan teams. Penn State, if I think about it, for more often than not, has been on the schedule. The I last two years, yeah, right? Um, the last year... 2014, 2014, 2015. 2015. Yeah, a little bit more recently. Yeah, so for whatever reason, we've had that, I wouldn't call it a scheduling break. I'd call it a scheduling um, unfortunate turn of events. You always have to play Penn freaking State. But (laughs) with Michigan State, um, I I just feel like, uh, yeah, maybe this is the fan in me, Harry, trying to talk myself into upset. We're going to do it. But 
I do think all the ingredients are there in terms of the mental aspect of this game, where if you're Michigan State, you aren't going to be like, yeah, Illinois, we're looking our chops. Though the one counter to that would be if Mark D'Antonio gets them playing with any sort of desperation. But again, you, you've been in locker rooms. You know the fact that you guys, you talked about in 2014, you looked at the schedule and said, as long as we're at four wins, we just need to win two of our last three. And then even after losing to Iowa, you still knew, yeah. eh, well, if we beat Penn State and Northwestern, we're in. Michigan State could look at their schedule, those players, and see Rutgers, Maryland, and know that this Illinois game is by no means a must win. Oh, yeah, exactly. Because they are out of the Big Ten East race. I think they've been out of that for a while now. Yeah, they're toast, right? Yeah. They've I already mean, have three Big Ten losses. I mean, if you lose once in the Big Ten East, you're probably going to be out of it with how good the rest of that division is. It's ridiculous. Don't you sometimes just feel bad for, like, Maryland? And no, they or Indiana. And no, they're yeah. never going to have a chance to win that division. Though, isn't Indiana still alive? They might. Be, they lost to, to Ohio State. They, they did, so it would take Ohio State losing to Penn State they would and have, yeah. uh, then the tiebreaker, mm-hmm. right? Right. You know what I was actually thinking, though, is that um, for Illinois, the little bit of fun that we were having, for them to get in... Okay, first of all, Illinois wins out. Okay. Okay. Then eight was, and four. <laughs> yeah, eight and four with, Could, th- oh my God. with three Big Ten losses. Now, here's the thing. I'm, if they beat Michigan State, by the way... We're Can starting you that narrative. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Let's root for Northwestern against Minnesota. Uh, but I'm, I'm also just thinking we would actually then, we get a bye week to soak it all in. Yeah. Right? Six and four, feeling great. Oh, my God. I, and because one of my favorite parts of football season is you win and then you get a week to revel in that victory. We'd get two weeks. It's like a mini Super Bowl uh, or conference championship. Right. And leading up to an Iowa game where all of a sudden you say, yeah, what the hell? Yeah, <laughs> why not? You know, just go up there and get the get the upset up there too. It'll probably be right after Iowa comes off of a big win against Minnesota. But yeah, oh, but no. you know, Kirk Friends though, man, Kirk Friends teams can have the big win and then they follow do. it up with a stinker. Exactly, like they always do, like they have against Purdue for the last couple of years, minus right. this year. But the the interesting thing is, I keep convincing myself that it's possible because you, <laughs> crazy thing is, you now own the tiebreaker with the best team in your division. So if you end up tied, and I'm talking about Minnesota, with, or with, with Wisconsin, Wisconsin, right? So you need Minnesota to start now, losing in thing. a hurry. If you want to, if you want to have a, look at their a better chance, <laughs> you would need Minnesota to end with four losses, which means they'd have to lose their last four games. Correct. Now those games are against uh, Wisconsin. They could lose that. True. Iowa. They could lose that. Mm-hmm. I think one of them. No, they already played Nebraska. Uh, I think one they of play Penn, Penn State, State on Saturday. They play Penn State. Now, here's the thing. Those are three losses. I think I think it's easy to say those are three losses. So you think, okay, we look at this right now, and you're saying that Penn State at home at Iowa and Wisconsin, the last game of the year, all losses for Minnesota. Yes. Now, okay. now. That would have them at 9-3, and three, but more importantly, 6-3 and three in conference, assuming they win at Northwestern. Yes. Now, you don't win a direct head-to-head with them. Correct. But I don't know if you don't win a three-way tie with them and Wisconsin. Interesting. So then Wisconsin right now, they're sitting at 6-2, and two, and they have Iowa. Let's say they weekend. lose to Iowa, but then you beat Iowa. Now, here's the thing with Wisconsin. They need to lose this Saturday to be a three-loss team. Yeah, okay. you need one more loss from them. So here's the perfect Saturday for Illinois. Okay. Wisconsin Can loses. Can you believe we're doing this, by the way? Here's the path to the Big Ten title. Oh if they have a game, If they have a Big Ten title game in Indy, what would be something extreme I could do? 
Oh, if we go there? We had a joke, a friend and I, that we went down to a bragging rights, Illinois, Missouri. Are you, are you saying time. if Illinois gets to the Big Ten Championship? Yeah, game? if Illinois wins the Big Ten West and goes to the Big Ten oh title game. So the extreme thing, and I, this is a really dark joke, but we were down a bragging rights game in, I think, 2015 or 16, or 2014, when Illinois got the bragging rights back for the first time in a while. And we were just making this joke during the second half that if Illinois wins, we're going to try black tar heroin for the first time. <laughs> sort of like that scene in Wet Hot American yeah, Summer. Where it just gets more and more like dark and dark. And yeah, well, uh, they come back in. Oh, it's always great to go to the city, <laughs> if only for an hour. <laughs> so I'm thinking, uh, I, I tell you two under level listeners, I'll try black tar heroin for the first time. But no, I'm kidding, of course. That, that could get me fired from my job. Uh, no, but as I look at this, Penn State, okay, see, perfect Saturday for Illinois. Yes. Okay. This is fun. This is fun. <laughs> this is a lot of fun. Minnesota loses to Penn State. I think that'll happen. Okay, so that so I'm gets just saying, to loss. I'm saying that's going to happen to them. Wisconsin loses at home to Iowa. Now, keep in mind, though, Iowa. I think Iowa has two losses. They do, and you would control your own destiny exactly, at Iowa. Exactly. <laughs> this oh, is my. awesome. So here's your perfect Saturday, Illini fans. Of course, you beat Michigan State. Yes. I mean, that's a given. Right? Yeah, I mean, no. you're going to do that. Okay, <laughs> well, anyway. Then... Iowa loses. Iowa beats Wisconsin. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wisconsin then falls to three losses in conference. Yeah, and then you control your own destiny with them. Because I think you already got the, the losses from Nebraska. You now control your own destiny over them. Yes, over Wisconsin. Okay. No, over, over, and, over Nebraska. And Nebraska. Right, right, right. And Nebraska. Don't worry about them. They're going to no, keep losing. Yeah. Well, and if you keep winning, it doesn't matter what they do. Okay, and then you look at Minnesota. They have Penn State... That's a loss. Wisconsin at the end of the year. That's a loss. At Wisconsin, I'm pretty y- sure. Y- no, it's at home this Is year. It at home? We're at Wisconsin last year. Mm. But that, that Wisconsin team last year was not any good. No, they were not. And Minnesota was kind of hitting their stride. It at is at Minnesota. Time. You're right. And then you also need them to lose to... They play Iowa. But Iowa next sh- week. I'm not sure where they play. Not sure either. Let me check that. I love this yeah. <laughs> analytical breakdown of Minnesota's schedule. And I love how how this is all just to make it so that Illinois gets into like a three or four way tie, which I don't even know how that works. You know what scares me is I actually think PJ Fleck I think they beat Penn State. You do? Oh, that I would do. ruin all of this. The I, Mirage would. would be done. But you know, PJ Fleck's an easy guy to look at and laugh at because he's just, you know, he's kind of a caricature of himself. But I, I do feel like he could get things we use the term perfect storm. This season could be a perfect storm for PJ Fleck. Be. And then he parlays it into a bigger job. So here, here would be the good news for Illinois. PJ Fleck will keep Minnesota as a nuisance as long as he's there. Yeah. If he goes off to 11 and one season, and all of a sudden SEC schools are licking their chops and they offer him some extravagant contract, he'll take it. You okay. think so? I do. Cause here's the thing. I, I know Minnesota is the next up up from uh, Western Michigan and it's big 10. But is it kind of similar? Because the way you're making it sound is it's similar for Nick Saban going from MSU to LSU. Yeah, which I'd is, say so. If he which got I don't like know. an offer from, it's not going to be A and M because they just got Jimbo Fisher. Um, let's Florida State. Florida State. Oh, they could get him. They could get PJ Fleck. Oh my! I, I want that to happen. <laughs> I'm on the PJ Fleck to FSU train now. It could happen, right? Nope. I, I totally see that for some reason. Oh, that would be cool. I don't know if it would convert over there, though. I see him really. I really see him in the Midwest, but there's yeah. no SEC teams in the Midwest. But I think Florida State's dumb enough to do it. They're you dumb think? enough to fight. Listen, I don't want to be out of town, stupid here, and pretend I know anything about Willie Taggart or how good or bad he is. Yeah, yeah. It was a bad year and a half, no doubt. I I looked up something and I actually tweeted it out. 
this will be barring some unforeseen events because they're not going to be ranked, I think, because they're four and five right now. Even a seven and five team doesn't become ranked unless, you know, the AP people loves FSU, which a lot of times they do. And this all started because I saw CBS, Austin, Austin Brooklyn tweeted out, CBS projects us in a bowl game against FSU. Which would be amazing. Which would be cool. I, I want to play a name team. Exactly. If Illinois makes exactly. a bowl, I, I don't want it to be... Against like the best Mac team. Yeah, come on. That's I, I want a bad by their standards ACC or Pac-12 team. Yeah, exactly. Right. A name pro, like you could play USC. For all yeah, yeah. Or, and, and, and I want them to be a good, a big name. I don't want to play. Uh, one of the other ones was Pitt. Right, yeah, yeah. Right. They were okay last year, but I mean, they're, they're it's, it's no. Pitt. You're right. Pitt's boring. No, but you don't want that. The the, uh, the stat that I was able to concoct was that this will be in all likelihood the first season since 1976 that FSU has not at any point. And that was Bobby Bowden's first year at FSU. Incredible. Like his run, we talk about Paterno a lot, which of course that got solely by everything that happened. Yeah. But Bobby Bowden, for some reason, that's a name I haven't thought of in the last 10 years. He is. Um, but in college football history. He's a legend. Yeah. He's one of the best coaches that's ever. And for some reason, his name is never thrown out there with Nick Saban or uh, or Bear Bryant. Yeah, it seems peculiar. And right? it seems like it should be. In some way, like it seems like Florida State's their own little bubble down there. Like yeah. they had all this wild success. And certainly uh, you had the Miami teams in the 80s. And then, of course, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And you had Florida around the 90s and 2000s. But there was this remarkable consistency of Florida State. But the one thing about Florida State is they never really had that singular team in the way yeah. that Miami with Ken Dorsey and Will Smith in 2001 and, and then Florida in 2007. Right. But they did. And but the crazy thing is, I think it's almost better because and the only FSU team you'd say is a singular team would be the Jameis Winston one. And that was uh, Jimbo. Correct. Yeah. But then I think FSU with Bowden, I think they had two or three national championships. I'm pretty sure they did. One yeah. of them was like Warwick Dunn back in the day. Yeah. Um, but but the stat was. It would be the first time since 1976 that at no point in the season, beginning, you know, preseason, middle of the season, or at the end, have they been ranked. That's a 43-year run? Yeah. That's my voice crack, sorry. 43 years 43 of that. 43 years of being ranked. Remarkable. And I don't know what the second best would be, because Ohio State, they were not ranked in the fickle year. Yeah. I'm yeah. Sure. Well, they, no, I well mean, they, maybe they were, at one point, but... Yeah, probably, probably. the beginning. Probably the yeah. beginning. Yeah, and the thing is, is it, and this is just a testament to how poorly Willie Taggart has panned out there. And after this, I think we should get back to talking about <laughs> Illinois' path. But but um, indie. But I mean, you have to not just be at a big name school there. You have to take that team and really kind of just show how poorly you can uh, be there, not get fired, and then continue to be bad there. Isn't it remarkable that you look at a Florida State or a Nebraska? Or, I mean, I'll, I'll throw Michigan in there, even though I really do think Jim Harbaugh is a good coach. I think he, I, I, I know what the, the tier you're talking about yeah, is. Yeah, but like these, I, these teams that growing up for me in the 90s, but even for you growing up in the early 2000s and the teams you could always count on. Nebraska by then was sort of, eh, they whatever, were falling right? off. Nebraska was more 90s. But Michigan still carried that cachet. Florida State carried that cachet. And then they build upon it with Jimbo Fisher yeah. in his, what, third, fourth, fifth seasons. But, it is weird to have these teams that I haven't even thought about. Miami. Miami, yeah. I mean, Miami had a... Manny Diaz. Like, what is that program right yeah, now? Yeah, I mean, they're certainly not what they were. And and the thing is, is I, I don't know if I would throw them into the same kind of 
realm as FSU just because how long they did it and how Nebraska is a blue shirt as well. Miami had these two, three-year stints where they were just spurts, right? Yeah, yeah. They'll be really, really good for a couple years here, a couple years there. I'm trying to think of a comparison for who that would kind of be like. That would be, you know who that would be? That would be like Washington or Oregon. Yeah, I could see that. And, and certainly you look at Washington and they've had a lot of success in the last 25 years, but for whatever reason we forget about them. They but have a national tend- championship. They do? In the early 90s. No kidding. Yeah. I mean, I forget who the, what the name of their coach was, but he was some guy that was, that was there for 20-something years. Huh. And in his second-to-last season, 1991, I think it was, he won a national championship at Washington. How about that? Yeah, and, and no one no one talks about them because they're no. all the way out there. Well, and the West Coast teams in general. Even when USC was really good, and they were the closest thing that came to national superstar appointment television yeah. for a Pac-12 team because Oregon, yeah, they had the run beginning with, what, Joey Harrington in yeah, 2001. Yeah, and yeah. who was the Mike Bellotti, I think, was the coach before Chip Kelly? Uh, I don't remember. I, I, I don't remember. I remember Joey Harrington because he was on the cover of NCAA football. That's right. Uh, but I'm thinking about other West Coast teams that y- you've actually cared enough to get to know them. or Because here's the problem with Pac-12. I, I know there's certain football fans that they'll stay up until 1.30 on a Sunday morning watching late-night Pac-12 football. Yeah. But that ultimately does a disservice to really good teams out there. Where exactly. I, I don't know how good Utah is. Yeah, but we, chances are they're pretty good. And, and here's the thing. That's not even like West Coast because that, that's still – I think that's in our – Mountain time? That Yeah, that's one time zone over, but that's still too far away from the rest of the country to really know what's going on out there because when they're playing an away game – against a lot of teams that are in the uh, the West Coast time zone, whether they're playing Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State, USC, UCLA, whoever right. it is out there on the West Coast, they're going to be starting that game at 1030. Yeah, exactly. So, so you don't get to see this team that, honestly, I think they have one loss to USC, which I think USC is an okay team. but They're okay, but yeah, but they are struggling. Yeah, they're struggling. And they're probably going to be looking for another coach at the end of the season. Yeah. Again. P.J. Fleck. P.J. Fleck well, out to USC. Yeah. They hired a guy that has connections with Urban Meyer, so people are trying to get that going. Okay. I, I don't see any reason why I Urban Meyer would take that. I just don't see that happening. But, yeah, the thing is, you have this Utah team that I think has one loss, and they're, I mean, if you win out as a one-loss Pac-12 champion, it not a lot has to happen for you to make the big t- or to make the, uh, the college football playoff. What spurred on this entire conversation was, was our path to Illinois Indy. to Indy. Unbelievable. Oh my, you know, here's the scary thing. Here's the scary thing. I, I say scary because it'll just give us way too much excitement for this year. If, if they beat Michigan state, no, no. Oh, you're talking long term here. No, no. I'm saying if you win these last three games mm-hmm. and don't make the, uh, don't make the uh, big 10 championship, which actually is more likely than making it after winning these games. Right. You finish eight and four. You go into next year saying you should be in contention for the big 10 championship. Mm. You kind of do. Yeah. I don't know what Wisconsin's makeup is like in terms of juniors and seniors. They're going to be Wisconsin, but they're going to be Wisconsin. They're going to look at the game against you and their hair is going to be on fire. Now we have, and I want to play this game again because we're feeling, we're feeling our oats <laughs> we're here. Feeling good. By the way, the title of this episode, Harry's everything is awesome. Yeah, the uh, the Lego song, right? Which which right now it feels that way, it doesn't does. it? It does. So we're going to just kind of revel in this great feeling and bring you all the happiness and the joy that you should uh, grow accustomed to as an yeah. Illini fan. But as I look at the Illinois football schedule, let's see here, future Illini football schedules, 2020. Okay. We're going to play this game again, okay? All right. So, okay, I'm going to go based on, I'm not going to do Dare to Dream, but I'm going to say based on what we've seen this last year and if everything's you know kind of keeping up what's going on. Okay, 2020 begins with Illinois State, UConn, and Bowling Green at home. I think we can say 3-0. 3-0. Okay, 
Okay, no Eastern Michigan repeats. No, start no, no. Nonsense. Bye week. Yeah. At Rutgers. 4-0. At Nebraska. Revenge game. Revenge you game, know what? You know what? 5-0. and Purdue at home. <laughs> okay, 6-0. and Minnesota at home. Oh, my God. P.J. Fleck is gone. He's in Florida He's right now. Oh right, they're God. a wreck. See, this is your next year. If you finish this year strong, next year is your Minnesota year. Correct. And and this is what you ask for as, a, as an Illinois fan. You ask for a year like this, like in uh, Minnesota 2019, like a Iowa 2015. Mm-hmm. You ask for the perfect storm. And it looks like that could be coming. So right now, after Minnesota, um, what are you? You're, we say we're going to beat Minnesota with that PJ Fleck seven and seven and zero at Wisconsin seven and one. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Iowa at home. You know what? If it's your perfect year and you're seven and one, then um, we're saying this is a team. Mm, oh my. Uh, okay. I don't know. Let's man. just go seven and two to be seven and safe, two. Right. You're gonna lose some games, yeah. right? At Indiana. Again, Eight. I don't know the makeup of juniors and seniors, how much they're going to lose next year. And you know what? Year. They look like they're a good team now. I yeah. mean, th- I mean, they, now again, if this is your really good year, you're coming off of two losses, you're going to Indiana, you're going to beat them. 8-2. Okay. All right. Ohio State. Uh, <laughs> dare to dream. <laughs> oh, my. If, if, I'll, I will say this. I would pick Illinois in a dare to dream. Because, oh. because, because you're, if you're 8-2 and two at that point, and you're saying you're coming off of this year, mm-hmm. and you've kind of been it's it's almost like circ you know how we circled Michigan how it was just a like a week too early yeah but you, you circled Michigan for all this time that's kind of a mini version next year because it's it's the second to last week of a year that you're looking at and saying what if and you know who Ohio State's going to be playing the week after that of course right so come on they're going to yeah. be looking ahead and is this is this at Columbus no it's here. You know, Pretty cool actually, to get Ohio State back here next year. It actually kind of gives me more pause since it's here. This you, is a good home schedule. Look at this. Ohio State, Iowa, Minnesota, Purdue. Yeah. And then you get three winnable games all in a row in September. So I, I Illinois State to kick things off. So you get some Redbirds fans over. And then and you finish up against... At Northwestern. At Northwestern. Oh, my goodness. Nine and three is on the table. It is. Especially if you finish this... Now, here's the thing. This is, this is absolutely ridiculous. This is madness. If we compared this... To three weeks ago, after the Michigan game and the kind of podcast we were having then, so people could say, "Harry Carp, you know, you guys are riding the roller coaster, and let's, we're responding to what we see." We are, and, and I will say that reaction right there is based on Illinois finishing this season with seven or eight wins. I think they will finish with seven before the bowl game. That's why I'm really putting last stock in this. Too, Michigan, yeah. yeah, I'm putting last stock in this Michigan State game, and I think it's seven and five. You look at the season as. Wow, okay, you've turned the corner. And then here's the thing for me, though. I'll be completely honest. If they follow that up next year with another 7-5 and five win-loss record, initially you would say, well, you didn't improve. My reaction to that would be as an Illini fan that has long seen the good year followed by the bad year. I'm taking the 7-5 and five and running with it. Oh, I'm taking 7-5 and five in back-to-back years every single day because it's it's – how much of a difference it, there is between seven and five and six and six? Because it, it is because I'm thinking just perception-wise here. Even if they compete at Michigan State and Iowa, uh, let's say they lose by three at Michigan State, we're still going to be disappointed because yeah. I, I can already envision what that game looks like and feel like we're two or three plays away from having won it. Yeah, not the 17 that Tim Beckman no, talked about no, at no. Washington, but two or three. Right. Same with Iowa, where you know how Iowa plays and they can kind of lull you to sleep and then go off and win 24 to. 
10, 10 right? Yeah. 24 to 10 is a signature Iowa win, right? No, no, no. Signature Iowa win is 25 to 10. Yeah, right. 25 to 11. Safety and four field yeah, goals oh in, in there. I remember they were playing Penn State last year, and it was 14 to 10, but not because a team scored two touchdowns, because Iowa scored two safeties. Didn't Iowa have a game against Ohio State two years ago at Iowa where they just kicked they the just, crap they out They beat them by like 30 points. Out of nowhere. Yeah. So hopefully that doesn't happen. That no. would be. But, but my thought <laughs> is bad. that 6-6, six and six, even if you compete those two games, I will feel, well, there's two 6-6s six and sixes here, okay? The one 6-6 six and six is that you beat Northwestern by any means necessary, whatever, and that you don't look all that great on the road against Michigan State and Iowa. At that point, you're merely holding serve. Yes, Lovey will be back, and let's be real. Lovey's coming back regardless. Oh, yeah, okay? prob- unless you absolutely just collapse down the stretch, three yeah. straight losses, I still think you're, he's back. I think Northwestern's so bad this year, Harry, where that normal fear of Pat Fitzgerald getting his guys up and ready for that game, that doesn't concern me as much because their offense is just so bad. Yeah. Rutgers level bad. Okay. Maybe even worse. I don't know. Uh, hmm. Actually, that's not true because Rutgers was averaging 2.8 points per game in the big <laughs> test. They had 10 passing yards and back-to-back yeah, games combined. Yeah. Um, but they're bad. They're bad. So th- those are the two six and sixes. The one where you don't look all that great on the road and then you beat Northwestern. Okay. You're six and six. You're going to Detroit or something like that. Or the six and six where you look the part on the road against Michigan State and Iowa, even if you don't win. But you're in the fourth quarter. You're late in the third quarter. Chance to win. And, ah, gosh darn it, the home team just made that one extra play. Yeah. You end the season, if you beat Northwestern at home the last game of the year, entering a bowl game thinking, wow, progress. So that is the progress as opposed to not looking good in these road games, beating Northwestern and thinking, okay, well, was this really just kind of a fluky run at the end of the year? How good is this team? And more importantly, is there a carryover effect that we can take into 2020? For me, the best case scenario after the bowl game, <clears throat> if there is one, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> we got it. Uh, careful, careful. Yeah, yeah. As we talk about next year going nine and three. Yeah, as I just get done talking about the path to Indy yeah. in 2019, is the carryover effect. Do we leave, do we exit this season and go into this offseason thinking, wow, we got a bright future in 2020, and then if Lovey can capitalize on some recruits, and I think the the transfer market is open again for Lovey and the staff because now they look at what Joshua Matterbebe's done, Brandon Peters immediately starting. You look at Wale Batiku, who, by the way, defensively, two games in a row, you've been without him, and you're still you're getting still some pretty good defensive line actually, play. Speaking of which, on defense, Jake Hansen, did you see this? Finalist for the Buckus Award. Yes, and he or is semifinalist. one of the top 20 defensive players, one of the top 20 linebackers, or maybe just defensive players in the nation, according to Pro Football Focus, that does those scores. Yeah. And then you also have DeLay Harding, who's in the top 25, I'm pretty With sure, With his well. second defensive touchdown of the year. And, sec- uh, and Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. Yeah. Much deserved. He's playing out of his mind right now. Uh, can we take a minute to politely clap Miles Smith for... <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it is strange Who that your best, your best defensive <laughs> uh, position group is Miles Smith's linebacking core. Lovey gave him credit today, and here's I don't know the inner workings of the linebacking room. Maybe Harry, you can do. Do you have any sources on the team? Not really. Okay. I mean, I, I hardly have any insight on other position groups on the offense. I hardly ever really converse with people on the defense aside from the defensive linemen. But they they're looking good. I mean, you got a nice little core of three right there with Delay, uh, Jake Hansen, and Milo. Which, by the way, they kept saying Milo Eifler on the on the broadcast. I thought yeah. it was Milo. Ah, uh, they always just mi- mispronounce people's names if they don't care enough to get them right. But you know what's nice is that when you finally see a defense come together, and I, I do think that this is a new norm 
not listen are they only going to give up are they going to shut michigan state out no probably not but i would be very surprised if they gave up 30 i think it and is, that became the norm early this season i'm just yeah. saying the norm has shifted at least where you feel like the defense is serviceable and apart from the takeaways which they're extremely good at they're actually functional to the point of getting the three and outs or just stopping yeah. drives and that's what we've been asking for is because you know the defense is is pretty much gotten the same kind of turnovers that they've gotten all year that's been consistent what's really kind of clicked since the wisconsin game is now they look like a functioning defense aside from giving up 700 yards and getting the turnovers against nebraska now you're actually able to stop them and get what i think a lot of times is more important than a turnover a timely three and out there's an eye test thing for a casual fan like myself but is there an eye test thing for someone like you that played the game and sat in meetings that as you watch that defense right now you look at and say, you know what, they're tackling better. They're uh, handling their gap assignments. They're where they need to be. Did you? Are you noticing a dramatic shift? I mean, I, this is not a mirage, right? Is this no, no, no. Not I think, an oasis in the desert. I think this the is shift was the Wisconsin game, where you were really you were stuffing the um, you know one of the best running backs in the entire country in Jonathan Taylor, and then you were able to take that over to next week against a Purdue team where. Yeah, it was wet. Yeah, the ball was kind of slipping around, but you were chasing down the quarterback. You weren't really giving up much space at all. Now, of course, I'm I'm just going to take the Rutgers game and kind of throw that out the window because I don't sure. want to look too much into beating what is essentially UConn 2.0. No, and let's be real. You had a bad stretch in the second quarter against Rutgers offense. Yeah. That's where the defense started to show those signs, but to their credit, you talk about halftime adjustments. Whatever they needed to do, they made them yeah. and came out and looked as good as they have all year. Yeah, you got it done. Then that, That's really what's important at the end of the day. But this defense, you've seen the uh, the adjustments and how they've gotten better and seen like a more sound defense the last couple of weeks. And I think that the eye test, like you were alluding to, that's that's kind of what you have to go based on is just do they look like they are getting the job done do they look like they are tackling better does it look like this is a team that when they get the ball are they just picking you apart maybe you sack them on on first and 10 now it's second and 13 earlier in the year when you see second and 13 all you think is second and 13 third and five first and 10 <laughs> right that seemed to be the pattern but right? now it's a situation where you're looking at that and saying second and 13 we're going to get the ball back a good Illinois defense is rare. I'm thinking back to the last 20 years. In 1999, they were opportunistic, and they complemented that really high-powered offense well. 2001, again, opportunistic, but statistically really good um, in a Big Ten that had some pretty good offenses, too. You did have a good one in 2014, or was it 20... 2015. 2015, With you Bill had a really good one. Yeah. Uh, top 50 in the nation, which for Illinois, I mean, you take that. 2007, the Rose Bowl defense was really, really good when they finally kind of figured their thing out. They had the bad opening week against Missouri. And other than that, I mean, they really kind of controlled that side of the ball. So 2010 and 2011, though unfortunately for that defense in 2011, that was when Whitney Merciless just went crazy. Yeah, The nation leader in sacks, I'm yeah. pretty sure, but the offense just stunk. So you have had those, but I, that's counting, I think, five in the last 20 years of just good defense. It's not great, good. So... What I would love to end this season with is the feeling that, okay, you do have a good defense now. Here's one thing that uh, drew, raised an eyebrow a little bit. I want to read this to you, okay? Press conference today from Lovey Smith. And people have accused us maybe of picking things or picking things apart with yeah, Lovey yeah. Smith, right? Yep. This is the quote, okay? Lovey said, you guys in the media, quote unquote, I doubt he listens to the 200 level, no. Harry, so I don't think he's talking <laughs> yeah. to us. He, he said, you guys were the ones who wanted us to change things defensively. We stuck with what we believe in. 
Okay. Now, without mincing words too much, I and not hearing the tone, and 90% of communication is nonverbal, right? Lovey might have just been having a fun little dig. And I, I do think, though, Lovey, if he is listening to the podcast, <laughs> that we were responding to the first 42 games, right? Yeah. And that we are happy that things are working. I, I mean, this is the most fun I've had doing this podcast. We were already having fun, even when they stunk. Yeah. But how much more fun is it to come down here and actually kind of pick apart? Talk about the path to Indianapolis. Well, that, and but then even get a little more micro because there's actually fun micro things to get into with the defense. And uh, that comment is like, ah, come on, lovey. Like, what we had been given whether it be the media or the fan base, was a lot of garbage on defense for oh, a yeah. long time. It's not like you were looking at this defense, which was getting the job done and just was getting some unlucky bounces. It's you were getting every single bounce and being opportunistic. Nebraska being the big Nebraska one. Nebraska being the obvious one, and you still weren't able to get a win there against what is now obviously a kind of bad Nebraska team. And let us not mention Eastern Michigan. No. We're fortunate enough to be in a position where the Northwestern game should nullify what happened with Eastern. Oh, Michigan. it should. It okay. should. Um, but that is a bad team. Yeah, that's a bad team. They almost lost to I don't even remember Connecticut Central or whoever well, they were. And they had another bad loss this weekend to yeah. another MAC team whose name escapes yeah. me. But the, the, your your loss against a very bad team. I mean that paired with the other forty one games that you've had have kind of shown that this defense really. I mean, when have they ever showed us before this this run that we're having now has been some uh, has been a defense that can get the job done consistently? True. Now here's the thing: if they haven't changed anything, and the defense is getting a job, we're getting it done now. I don't know why that would be the case, but I, if I'm it, curious about that too because maybe they've tweaked things. He's Wabi said something similar. Sunday morning on 670 The Score. He was on the Bears pregame show with Patrick Manley, who was the long snapper for like 15 years for the Bears, including under Lovey, and asked the same question. He said, you know, we didn't really change much. And I'm thinking, okay, well, and, and granted, I'm not looking out there and seeing all of a sudden they've completely changed the base defense or anything like that. Urban Meyer had a really good breakdown after the Wisconsin game of, was it called zero coverage, where essentially you are just going single on the outside. What, what, is, what is zero coverage? Uh, I think zero coverage is when no one's playing zone is basically strict man defense. That, that's what they were doing against Wisconsin quite a bit. And Wisconsin, for whatever reason, didn't pick up on it and really exploit it. Um, and fortunately, you haven't had to do that against Purdue in the rain or against Rutgers, right? Don't know what the elements will be like for Michigan State. Maybe that's a factor. Well, it's, it's going to be grass as well. Which grass is and cold. Always, always interesting. Yeah. Um, but no, I just thought that, that comment was interesting. I mean, listen, when you're winning games, I, I don't care about a lovey dig. It's like, eh, whatever. I mean, yeah. I made mention in the opening segment how I'm seeing these post-game press conferences and the sideline interviews after win, and he's like smiling. He's jolly. Yeah. And not just because of the beard. He's a jolly fellow <laughs> who seems to really be enjoying this and i'm thinking yeah i mean th this is the epitome harry of the idea that winning cures all it's that simple winning cures everything yeah i mean it gets to the point now where obviously you're ecstatic in the uh, the first win and then purdue you were able to get the job done but it did seem like and this is as weird as it sounds when i was watching the uh, the post game in the locker room him celebrating with the guys it seemed like his smile was biggest now after a Rutgers game so it, it does this kind of a, a Rutgers win and it seems like that's just kind of, you know, it's it's like a snowball. It's just it, the, the guys in there are getting happier and happier. They're feeling better and better about themselves. And, you know, momentum's a real thing in college football. It certainly is. And, and that's something that maybe they're really now they're starting to feel their oats. And my dad always says teams that are losing continue to lose. Teams that are winning continue to win. So 
This is what makes this weekend interesting to me. Yeah, exactly. You have a team that is shifting in the wrong direction. You have a team that's shifting in the right direction. And this could be similar to 2016 in the way that that was kind of the absolute valley of Michigan State's season. Correct. I think it could be similar if they lose to, or at least from their point of view. I don't think, obviously, Illinois is not as bad of a team now as they were back then. But that's a similar kind of take on the game, maybe from their point of view, saying, well, we, we've lost to a couple of, of good teams. If we're not able to finally get it on the right track now, we might not be able to do it this year at all. So let's end the podcast with this. We have Illinois-Michigan State, 2.30, Saturday, nationally televised, FS1. Everyone's going to be tuning in. I mean, everyone. Uh, but I actually do think what will be cool. I predict one thing outside of the score. Okay, My prediction is this. On game day on ESPN on Saturday, you're going to get an upset pick, Illinois over Michigan State, from either Kirk or Lee, or Desmond Howard, someone is going to pick that as their upset pick. You think? I think so. What would it take for us? For <laughs> Could you imagine? All the stars align, and there's all these different... No, Game day here what? for Illinois Northwestern. That's what I was going <laughs> to yeah. say. And then I, was, I caught myself. I was like, there's no oh, way man. on earth. I mean, unfortunately, Iowa, if, if you would ever... After that bye week in Illinois, Iowa, we're vying for the Big Ten West. I don't think oh. that's going to be the case. The Big Ten West is like one of the least compelling divisions in all of college football. The chance you have next year is if you somehow are really, really good up to the Ohio State game. Yeah. Because here's the thing. If Lovey has success here, then we will get noticed. Like Illinois will get noticed. Oh, yeah, the reason yeah. we were so excited when Lovey got hired in the first place was not only like if you win, will you get a little bit of national attention, but you have a figurehead in front of it that is nationally known, that football fans are well aware of, that would say, wow, look at look at what Levy Smith's doing over there at Illinois. Yeah. So that was always the dream and always the hope that when you hired him, if you had success, you would be nationally relevant in a way that some up-and-coming, like a Matt Campbell at Iowa State. Listen, unbelievable coach. He'll probably get a better job. But Matt Campbell is not necessarily the draw as a figure, that a Lovey Smith would be if he had the same level of success. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's obviously part of the reason that we were so excited when he came in here was the star power that he brought along with him. Now it's just it'll be interesting to see if it does translate and it all starts with actually being able to finish off this year strong and then, my God, do what we were kind of teasing at doing next. Yeah, year. right, right, right. <sighs> with that in mind, Saturday, two oh, thirty, FS one, Illinois, Michigan State. I went on record with the opening segment. I predict the upset. I'll put a score to it. Um, Illinois 24, Michigan State 17. And I think the key to this game will be playing with a lead. I don't think this offense, if you have to you know, turn everything loose and say, Brandon Peters, go win us this game. Not sure how good I feel about that. I think that if you get an early touchdown in this game, that you will immediately take the crowd out of it. They'll they'll start groaning up at East Lansing thinking, oh my God, do we just legitimate suck this yeah. year? And you can kind of ride that momentum and ride that wave to a, I don't want to say comfortable win, but Michigan State, on, on their own uh, side, they do not have an explosive offense. They don't. So get a lead, protect the lead, get the run game going uh, as much as you can against Michigan State and find your way to one defensive touchdown that will be the play that, Harry, when we look back at this season, the Wisconsin, the kick by James McCourt, of course. Yeah. Uh, along with other plays in that game. But if you really are envisioning a 7-4 and four, or 7-5 and five team that you start to call it a special season, given the context coming in and the 2-4 and four start, there's going to be a signature moment in this Michigan State game from someone on the defense. 
uh, the tough thing for me, and you said it, uh, Michigan State does not have a good offense. I believe that. That's why this this score it almost it pains me almost as much to say the score as it does to to watch this. I think it's going to be Michigan State who wins, thirteen ten. No, fifteen fourteen because oh. you only give up field goals. Wouldn't that be something? That I was thinking either that or twelve to ten. Well, listen, the concern is the offense. Illinois' offense is the concern because Brandon Peters. You know, he makes some throws. We saw the throw to Josh Amaterbebe with pressure. Oddly enough, there was pressure on that play, and he stood in there, and it was actually advantageous that he never seems to move in the pocket. He yeah. just, he's a sitting duck <laughs> on that play. It worked, but unfortunately, against Michigan State's defensive line, it really, to me, comes down to the offensive line. They had a bad first half against Rutgers. They did not look themselves. They let Rutgers' defensive line kind of push him around a bit. That vaunted... Uh, defensive line for the Scarlet Knights. But but what I really love about the Rutgers game is that you kept the momentum going, but you still had enough teachable moments. So if, if the staff, the coaching staff, is able to maximize the returns on a teachable moment, they'll be able to point at the first half of Rutgers and say, don't do that, and then point to the second half and say, do that. Because that's what we've been <laughs> yeah. doing the last three games that have gotten you to three straight wins. So I will go the upset pick. You're going with the heartbreaking loss. But the good thing to me, Harry, is that we're even in a, a position where we could talking could be talking about a heartbreaking loss that is also somehow satisfying and continues with the idea that, okay, legitimate progress has been made. It's not a finished product, but it's getting closer. Yeah, I mean, that makes I sense. And, and yeah, that's, that's where we're at so far in this season. You're looking at it and saying, you wish maybe the first six games had gone a little bit differently. I mean, a, a lot little, differently. A little bit, right. I mean, you could have won four and two in those you games. Could have, you could have. You could have definitely gone four and two in those games, but now you're looking at what you have right now. You made your bed, and you have an opportunity to win one of these last three games to make it a good improvement season. You have two opportunity, or you have opportunity to win two of the last three games that are winnable to make it a special season, and then you have the outlier, the opportunity to make this a very memorable season. Eight and four in the Holiday Bowl. Ooh, I'll take the Holiday that, Bowl against that, that, Wazoo in Hawaii, right? No, no, that one. That, I think that's in California. Oh, okay. Well, what's it, the one? The Sun Bowl is that still going on out in Texas or Arizona? I don't remember. And then there's of course the one in Idaho, which you don't want that one. Yeah, I don't think the Big Ten the has any association. Famous Potato Bowl. For me, I wouldn't mind the Detroit one. I think it's the Quick the Lane Quick Lane Bowl. Bowl. Well, I think the Quick Lane and Pinstripe and and the. Um, Pinstripe would be cool. Pinstripe would be cool. I don't think I would actually go. No. But, Though I've always told myself if Illinois makes the Pinstripe Bowl, I kind of have yeah. to. It's, so I don't know. Maybe I could check and see if there's cheap flight or something. Just do it. I think that those two, and then there's one more in Arizona. Or no, no, I think it's in Santa Clara that you kind of have a tie to somewhat. Yeah, there's some. There's another California one. The name escapes me. Is it? There was the Emerald Nut Bowl or whatever that we played in against. Oh, no, we, we played in the Craft Fight Hunger Bowl. The Craft Fight Hunger Bowl. But I mean, there is an Emerald Nut Bowl, I think, in San Francisco. There's something like that. I know the ones, obviously the big one is the Rose Bowl. Mm -hmm. But then the next tier... I think is there's the Capital One Bowl. The I, I so badly want to be in the Capital One Bowl. Why? <laughs> or the Outback Bowl. The Outback Bowl, Capital One Bowl, or Holiday Bowl. Because I think it's what, 10.30 a.m. on New Year's Day, Central Time, 10.30 Central. It's the first bowl game of the day. I love the Outback Bowl. And I remember even in the Sugar Bowl year, that team started, well, they beat Penn State at home to go 8-1. and one. And I'm thinking, you know, regardless of what happens these last two games, they could have lost at Ohio State or something like that, that, hey, you know, Give me the Outback Bowl. Give yeah. me the Capital One Bowl because it's New Year's Day. And in a way, I would have preferred that to the Sugar Bowl because I think you probably would have won. You, yeah. you weren't going to beat LSU in the Sugar Bowl. But no. Rohan Davey. 
I forget who the wide receiver was, but it was a stud. It was the guy who played Lee Evans for the Bills for a long I time. I was going to say Devery Henderson or something no, like no. that. <laughs> but Lee Evans, right, played for the Bills for a yeah, long yeah, time. Yeah, he was pretty good. Yeah, he was a star wide receiver for them. But no, give me a New Year's Day Bowl. I don't know if the, the, the path is there if you go 8-4. and four. If we go to the Outback Bowl, I'll go. Because that's in Tampa. Yes. I'll go to that one. If it's the Detroit Bowl, then I think we should set up a, an emergency podcast in the lobby yes. of the Super 8 <laughs> Detroit. <laughs> the, the Airport Sheridan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh my God, we're talking bowl game here. Right? Uh, we're talking eight and four bowl games. Well, too. okay. When we come we back next stop week, that. we got to stop that. When we come back next week, we didn't talk any Illinois basketball because we need. We're going to let these three games play out. Yes, they play Nickel State Tuesday night, so we won't, won't make any predictions because if you're listening Wednesday, and then we, well, we've dated ourselves. Yes, Friday night against Grand Canyon, Sunday night against Arizona. So by the time we come back next Monday, boy, do we have a lot to talk about. We do. And perfect storm could we go four and zero, three and zero in basketball, and one and zero? Well, obviously against Michigan State. That would be ideal. But you know what I would take? 2-1 and one for basketball with a close loss at Arizona and a win at Michigan State. Or if they do lose Saturday against Michigan State, then let's offset that with a win Sunday night at Arizona. So you want to go 3-1 and one regardless. 3-1 and one regardless, but for me, no offense Illinois basketball. But Illinois football is taking the range right now, and I love it. Would you rather, and this is easy for you, but oh, Illinois yeah. fans, I ask you this as we close the podcast, would you rather Illinois beats Arizona Sunday night to find themselves in the top 25 of the basketball polls again? Or would you rather Illinois loses to Arizona, but Illinois beats Michigan State in football? If you beat Michigan State, I think you RV. I think you receive <laughs> votes. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh, it would be awesome. You just see at the bottom, like under number 25, you just oh see like the God. last one in that list next to Appalachian State. Oh, I'm fine. Illinois won. Yes. I'm fine with that. Oh, my God. If we come back and we're receiving votes in the AP Top 25 next week. That's when I'll do Black Tar Heroin. <laughs> Receiving votes. All right. Uh, Harry, is always a pleasure. I uh, got to thank DP Doe, Fourth and Kirby, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen, Alana Inquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network, all great partners in the 200 level. I would say relaunch, but we've been at it for like eight or nine episodes already. Yeah. We're really going at Across uh, the 10,000 download threshold, having the best weeks that we've ever had, basketball starting, building that subscriber base. So be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast outlet. Harry, when we come back next week, hopefully more good news to talk about. We didn't even need a punt for this title. No, we can we just didn't. tell you what it was. Everything currently, as of Monday night at 5.46 p.m., is awesome. is awesome. We'll see you next week. It is the 200 level. <laughs>